And with that, we are on the air for NASCAR Race Review with our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for tonight, Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Sharon. Always fun to be on uh, for the full version tonight. And uh, I know we came off uh, another big weekend of racing uh, at several different venues. So we've got a lot to talk about and certainly excited to be here. All right. So I know during our first half hour, we're going to get into two races from the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, the Arkham Menard Series actually raced at Memphis this weekend, uh, but there were two uh, celebrations because uh, we had a winner in the Sioux Chief Showdown title as well as the race winner from that event. Then on, uh, we also had a race in the West, Arkham Menard Series West, and that race was held at Las Vegas. So we'll review those races during that first half hour, Andy. Indeed, yeah, certainly um, you know, a lot to cover there uh, across all the ARCA series. So um, some pretty cool, some pretty cool storylines for sure that we'll get to here as we uh, cover that. So certainly looking forward to it. All right, then at nine o'clock. We will get into the review of the NASCAR uh, Trucks, Xfinity, and the Cup Series. All of those races took place at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend. And then we'll start at 9.30 tonight again for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with the Fan for Racing crew. So that will give us a full hour. uh, And you never know, we just might go overtime for another half hour. So uh, definitely stay tuned for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off at 10 p.m. Eastern Time here tonight. Okay, with that, Andy, let's go ahead and get into uh, the race that took place at Memphis International Raceway. Uh, It was a one-two finish with Sam Mayer coming in second but winning the Sioux Chief Showdown Championship while Ty Gibbs, collected his sixth victory uh, this season in the Arkham Art Series there at Memphis. Yeah, that was um, very impressive. You know, you have to really appreciate uh, what Ty Gibbs has been able to do. And, um, you know, he's an up-and-coming driver that's, that's learning the ropes, you know, limited experience in the Arkham uh, Menard Series, both the Arkham Menard Series and the Arkham Menard Series East. And, um, you know, I realize that's a team that, that does have some cup affiliation, but nonetheless it takes talent to win these races, right? So certainly um, that's right. pretty impressive what he's been able to do, you know, and he's racked up several wins this year and I think well on his way toward a bright future in the sport. So, Certainly um, just impressed with what he's done. The same can be said about Sam Mayer at only, you know, 17 years old. He's really uh, been quite impressive at such a young age when, you know, he's got his whole his whole career ahead of him. So very impressive there. Um, and to kind of continue moving forward with the results, um, maybe even a bigger story here, Brett Holmes, uh, driver of the number 23 machine, he actually led 135 laps. So clearly he had a really good race too. Comes up a little bit shy uh, there in the third spot, but nonetheless a great run for him. Tad Moffat, of course, the um, great-grandson of Richard Petty, I believe, either grandson or great-grandson, I believe. He comes home with a really solid fourth-place top-five finish, and Chandler Smith rounds out that top-five uh, in the fifth position. 
Absolutely. Holmes also take points lead. Uh, that's been a very tight battle, just two points between Holmes and Michael Self in that Arkham and Arts series points battle. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's uh, kind of cover here. I'm going to go to the uh, Sioux Chief PowerPex 200 race results. Uh, we've got uh, several drivers. Uh, Ty Gibbs and Sam Mayer, we talked about Brett Holmes finishing in that third place as you covered the top five. So I'll go from uh, position six through ten. Michael Self, uh, the series points winner going into this race, uh, came home with a sixth-place finish, uh, but now is sits two points behind Brett Holmes in the point standings. Haley Deegan in seventh place. Drew Dollar finishes eighth. Then you've got Taylor Gray rounding out the top 10 finishers in this race. So uh, it, it really is amazing when you look at the series point standings. And we'll also cover the uh, Suchi's, uh showdown standings. But let's go ahead and do these point standings, uh, Andy, for the Arkham Menard series. Yeah, we'll start out, as you mentioned, Brett Holmes is the uh, points leader. Uh, Michael Self in second, Haley Deegan third, Drew Dollar fourth, Ty Gibbs in fifth, which is interesting, but of course he does not run all the races for the Arkham Menard Series East. Brad Smith in sixth, Sam Mayer, of course that's a name we'll be talking a lot of uh, for years to come. He's in seventh, Ted Moffat is eighth, Chandler Smith ninth, and Taylor Gray in tenth. So um, looking at that points battle there, um, you know, fairly tight overall, you know, so certainly. Um, you know, certainly not over yet as we uh, wind down the season here. Absolutely. You mentioned Ty Gibbs running a part-time schedule and still maintaining a fifth-place spot here in the Arkham and Arts Series. He has an average starting position of 6.1. Wait a second, I'm looking at the wrong one. His average starting position is 2.6. His average finishing position is 3.4. Sam Mayer, who has five victories this season in the Arkham and Art Series, again, racing part-time, 13 of the 18 races run. He has an average starting position of 6.1 and an average finishing position of 3.4, which is pretty impressive. I, I can only imagine uh, that they'd be contending for a championship in this series. Uh, but because of their age, they were not able to race all of the races uh, this season, so uh, who knows what's going to happen next year? I know Sam Mayer already has a victory in the truck series as well. Yeah, that's the thing that's most impressive about this is is you know you really look at those numbers that stick out, and for both of those drivers to have a an average finish of three point four tells you how successful they are each time they hit the racetrack. So, um, you know, certainly two uh, young prospects that I think. Will go. Um, they'll, they'll go pretty far in this sport. So, uh, but starting out on the right foot with uh, some strong runs and some wins in the Arkham Menard Series East, and we can only expect that I think to continue as uh, time goes on and those drivers continue to develop. Exactly right. Now these guys were one-two in the Suchi Showdown uh, Series point standings as well. This is ten races within the twenty races of the Arkham Menard Series that give uh, the drivers a chance at a second 
championship. And Sam Mayer comes up with the championship in the Sioux Jeep Showdown. Uh, he has 404 points to Ty Gibbs, 399 points. So just five points separating those two drivers. Yeah, pretty tight for sure. Um, you know, and it's, it's not even um, that much of a gap as you continue further back from there. Michael Selt had 382 points, so not that far back. In third, Brett Holmes right behind him, just one point back with 381 points in fourth. Chandler Smith, another name that we've seen in the truck series this year, um, is in the fifth position. So, um, you know, certainly some up-and-coming names there and a a fairly tight points battle overall. Although Sam Mayer did um, win that championship, it was by only a five-point margin. And again, the margin between third and fourth, just one point between those two. So certainly a, a fairly tight battle as they wrap up that championship. Yes, indeed. Uh, Haley Deegan, Taylor Gray, and Drew Dollar, all rookies, uh, rounding out sixth through seventh, and sixth, seventh, and eighth positions in that series as well. So a big shout out to them. In fact, we had quite a few. Uh, there were seven uh, rookies in that top ten group. So that says a lot right there, uh, with just uh, how big of a battle this was. Uh, with a with a very strong rookie group involved. Yeah, absolutely. You know, certainly a, a pretty cool battle for all those drivers, and I, um, you know, certainly think it gives them a great opportunity to, um, you know, to showcase what they got skill wise. So, um, pretty pretty cool battle. You know, and pretty cool to see it come down to the wire like that, with it being so tight. But just can't say enough about Sam Mayer and his ability. And certainly Ty Gibbs gave him a run for his money. But um, I think what impresses me most is, is just Sam Mayer's age and, and what he's done in the short time. And those are the guys, you know, those are the drivers that you, you really have to, to keep an eye on because of, of what they can do moving forward. So um, pretty cool accomplishment for, for Sam. And it only adds to um, his accomplishments moving forward. Without a doubt, these are the future stars of NASCAR that we're watching here in the Arkham Art Series, and uh, they've already had a handful of races in the uh, Dander RV and Outdoor Truck Series, so I think we've got a lot to look forward to with both of those drivers uh, coming up through the ranks uh, as the season goes on. In fact, Sam Mayer's already been announced as a part-time driver uh, with... uh, uh, junior Motorsports in the Xfinity Series for next year. So, again, his age precludes him from being able to race full-time next season. Uh, but I say we should really watch out for Sam Mayer in that series because as he continues to grow and develop, uh, he's going to be a, uh, a strong contender within that series, I think, from the very, from the very beginning. Yeah, without a doubt, and, and certainly I think when you look at his progression and his ability to learn quickly, you know, certainly there there may be some growing pains for him next year, but to get an opportunity to drive a, an Xfinity Series machine for JR Motorsports is an incredible opportunity and one that I think that uh, he'll succeed in. So, you know, you, you always enjoy seeing up-and-coming drivers uh, get those chances in cars that allows them to go contend for wins on a weekly basis. And I believe Sam Mayer has been provided that opportunity next year. So 
really looking forward to seeing what he'll do, and I, I think that he's one to watch uh, for not just next year, but uh, years down the road as well. Yes, indeed. Now, I'll tell you some other drivers that uh, we'll need to keep our eyes on as well. Uh, the West, uh, Arkham and Art Series West opened up uh, the weekend at uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, but they were racing at the Bullring at Las Vegas, and Gracie Trotter made some history uh, by becoming the first female to win under the Arkham and Art Series banner. So it only took 12 races for Gracie Trotter to add her name into the history books. She's just 19 years old from Denver, Colorado, and she drove away with that win in the General Tire 150 on Saturday at the Bullring at Las Vegas. Uh, in the process, Again, she becomes the very first female winner of the ARCA Racing Sanctioned event. So pretty cool to see that happening in the ARCA Menard Series West for Bill McAnally Racing, who actually took all three podium positions on Saturday night. This is cool. Uh, you know, definitely need to give uh, Gracie Trotter a, a big shout-out here. Congratulations to her, certainly, for her first career win. And to do so in just 12 stars is very impressive. And I might add that she led 95 of those 150 laps. So did so in a, in a dominating fashion by leading the most laps and uh, went out there and earned the win. You, you always like seeing first-time winners. You like to see up-and-coming drivers get their big moments like that. And, and there's no doubt about it that she went out there and earned that win. So that was pretty cool. And as you said, Bill um, McAnally Racing uh, was able to get those top three spots. Um, Gio Selzy in second. Jesse Love, who has won a bunch of races this year. We've had him on our show several times. Uh, a strong third-place mm-hmm. finish for him. Kyle Keller uh, in fourth, and Todd Souza there uh, rounds out the top five, Sharon. So certainly some good runs for drivers that have had a really good year overall in the Arca Bernard Series West. Yes, indeed. These guys uh, really put on a show. Uh, the margin of victory was pretty close as well. I think it was... Uh, well, it says here 1.821 seconds. Uh, so I guess it wasn't as close as I thought it was. But uh, to round out the top ten here, the next uh, five drivers were Takuma Koga, Bridget Burgess, another one of the females uh, and a rookie racing in this series. Then you've got Bobby Hillis Jr. in eighth place, Holly Holland, another one of the females racing this series uh, for Bill McAnally Racing. And Blaine Perkins rounds out the top ten there. Now, the uh, Sunrise Four cars ran into some suspension issues, uh, which made for a very difficult day for the Sunrise Four group uh, out there at Las Vegas. Yeah, rather unfortunate, certainly. You don't want to run into issues like that, but unfortunately with racing, you know, with the with the ups come the downs, and you certainly hate to see mechanical failures, but nonetheless these are drivers and teams that uh, will certainly be back and, and have good runs in the future. Yeah, it should be noted, too, this is another series that has a lot of rookies in the, in the mix here. Uh, of the top five drivers, four of those drivers are rookies, in fact, Kyle Keller, I think he's only raced maybe one, I know one, obviously, at the Bullring, but uh, he's had just a small number of races that he's entered, and uh, coming home with a fourth-place finish, that was a big deal for him. Uh, I think he's one of the uh, local guys out in that area. 
So let me see if I can find how many. Yeah, he's only had that one race. I thought maybe he had another one, uh, but that's not true. Um, so, again, looking at average finishing positions, it's really impressive again. Uh, if you look at Jesse Love, who is at the top of the series point standings, he has a 2.5 average starting position. His average finishing position, Andy, is 2.1. And then you go down to Blaine Perkins with a 2.6 average starting position. His average finishing position is 4.1, which is actually tied with Gracie Trotter's average finishing position. So really, really impressive uh, group that we have here in the Arkham Nodes West. It really is, and, and, you know, that's a number that really sticks out when you look at, um, you know, the top of the point standings with Jesse Love there with a 2.1 average finish. His next closest competitors there, you know, all have good average finishes, but, you know, really not anyone that's that close um, to Jesse Love. So it's without a doubt been a great season for him uh, in just eight races. Um, I mean, what can you say? Eight top tens, eight top fives. Uh, three wins. It's been it's been great. Certainly, uh, those are those are impressive numbers. Those are numbers that are that's hard to do. And it doesn't matter what series it is, um, you know, to have as many top fives as starts on the on the season is extremely impressive. So, um, a great year. And also, you know, most laps led for Jesse. Three hundred and thirty nine laps led. That's more than any other competitor. So, certainly. Um, making uh, pretty pretty hefty work of the Arkham Menard Series West, that's for sure. Exactly. Those three wins include three pole awards as well. Uh, we mentioned Glenn Perkins is in second place. Uh, then you've got Gracie Trotter in third. Gio Skelsey, her teammate, uh, is in fourth place. And then Trevor Huddleston in fifth. Uh, that top five is dominated by the uh, Bill McAnally Racing Group of Love, Trotter, and Skelsey. But then you've got the Sunrise Ford Group right in there as well with Blaine Perkins and Trevor Huddleston. Uh, the next five drivers are Todd Souza, Holly Holland, also from BMR, Takuma Koga, and Bobby Hillis Jr., and Jack Wood rounding out the top ten. So uh, pretty cool to see that in this group you've got nine of these drivers that have raced all eight races. So that's cool to see as well. Yeah. You know, and, to, and the thing that's impressive about this too, when you, when you look at these drivers at the top there, they've all been, you know, they've, they've all put together some strong finishes and, and the competition's pretty stuff when you consider, you know, a lot of these drivers, you know, eight starts, eight top tens, eight starts, seven top tens. Um, you know, that top five is a, is a pretty, a pretty stacked group of talent there that's been racing close with each other all season long. So, um, you know, it's not like they've either, it's not like any of them have really run away with the series this year, but certainly, um, you know, you can't say enough about Jesse Love and, and, you know, what he's been able to do this year, certainly. And, you know, the Bill McAnally racing team overall continues to, to put together strong seasons like they've done for a long, long time in the Arkham Bernard series West. So, uh, no surprise that they continue to put fast race cars on the track, and uh, they're they're having yet another really good 2020 season. Yes, indeed, that is so so true. Um, 
I've got some post pre-race audio here, but it's actually uh, Sam Mayer before he uh, raced in the uh, uh, NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series race uh, for GMS racing in the number 21. So it's not really post audio. It's really pre-race audio. Uh, And I was trying to see if we had anything from Gracie Trotter. Uh, but unfortunately, we do not. Um, I think what we'll do instead, uh, Andy, is go right. Uh, we'll go ahead and move right into the uh, Gander Outdoor Truck Series race uh, that took place this weekend as well. Uh, the winner of that race. Now, I did not get a chance to see any of these races, uh, Andy, so I'm really looking for your input on uh, what happened uh, in some of these races. But uh, it was the 24th annual World of Westgate 200 uh, that took place Friday night, and uh, the winner was Austin Hill at the end, age of 26, driving the number 16 Wayans Canada Toyota for Shigeki Hattori and crew chief Scott Zipidelli. Uh It was his sixth victory in 93 Gander after a truck series races, his second win and 15th top 10 finish this year and his second victory and fourth top 10 finish in the seven races he's had at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Sheldon Creed came in second. Uh, I understand he put on a good show trying to go after that first place position. Uh, That was his fourth top 10 finish in five races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, his ninth top 10 finish this year. Tanner Gray, the rookie, posting his second top 10 finish in three races at Las Vegas Boner Speedway. And uh, Sheldon Creed right now leads the point standings by eight points over Brett Moffat. So Austin Hill has punched his ticket into the next round of the series playoffs. Uh, to round out the top 10 here, we have Stuart Friesen finishing fourth, Chandler Smith in fifth, the next five are Grant Infinger, Zane Smith, Christian Eckes, Matt Crafton, and Tyler Ankrum rounding out the top 10 drivers. The only drivers not in the playoffs in the top 10 are Tanner Gray, Stuart Friesen, and Chandler Smith. Pretty impressive runs there. Certainly was. And um, since you weren't able to get to see the race, Sharon, it was really um, – you know, a show between the top two drivers. Sheldon Creed, though, uh, was really the driver that appeared to be the one to beat early on. He led 89 laps, which was the most laps um, on the day. In fact, he swept both stages, so it appeared that he would cruise to that victory, but Austin Hill and his team were able to make the right adjustments to get their truck the best when it mattered most, and um, it was a fantastic battle between the two drivers. It was a clean race, not a lot of incidents or accidents, but nonetheless a good race between those top two with Austin Hill coming out on top. And as I look through this top ten here, um, you know, there's some impressive finishes by some guys maybe not necessarily in the playoffs. But Tanner Gray, I think it's fair to say that, you know, he's struggled a bit this season, but in recent weeks has, has started to, to get some good finishes. And, and I think that's showed some significant improvement from the start of the year to the end of the year. So certainly he's headed in the right direction. Stuart Friesen, um, great finish for him. That's a team that desperately needed a run like that in fourth. 
you know, as they look to build toward uh, finishing out the year strong toward next year. And Chandler Smith, another one who uh, has really had to learn how to race these trucks on these bigger racetracks and um, comes home with a solid finish there in fifth. So some good finishes from some young talent that, although not racing for a championship, they're looking to build their programs for the future. Um, And then we get into some of the more, I think, disappointing finishes. I think despite, you know, earning some top tens here, and and make no mistake, these these are not poor finishes, but, you know, Grant Enfinger, Zane Smith, I think those are drivers and teams that expect to contend for the wins on a weekly basis. And, you know, I I think it's fair to say finishing in sixth and seventh is probably a little bit of a disappointment for those playoff teams. Christian Eck is in eighth and ninth. Uh, and, and Matt Crafton in ninth, rather, as you already mentioned. You know, in Tyler Ankerman tenth, I think that while top tens are always good, uh, you always want to be a little bit better than that, especially as you go for a title. And then, you know, we have to mention the, the drivers that uh, that had issues that are in the playoffs. Todd Gilliland mm-hmm. struggled all night long uh, in 13th, not, not the kind of finish that team was looking to have. They you know, they have been pretty good in recent weeks and uh, just didn't quite have the run they needed. Brett Moffat, a driver and team that we see up front all the time, um, you know, and they actually ran well early on, finishing second and third in the stages, but they had, uh, you know, some issues and unfortunately fell back to 15th. Very uncharacteristic for that team, Sharon. And then, you know, last but not least, um, your pick of the race, Brent Ben Rhodes, what can you say? I mean, he... He was fast, but uh, unfortunately uh, had some issues with a spin off the back stretch, resulted in some damage, and also had some motor problems uh, throughout the night, too. They were uh, having issues with the power on that machine throughout the night. So motor problems as well as an accident that caused some uh, damage and also a fire on that truck. So I think the fact they even yeah. finished the race is probably remarkable in itself but nonetheless disappointing finishes uh for those drivers that i just mentioned there that are trying to contend for that next round of the playoffs which would be the uh, round of eight okay and some of the drivers uh that were not necessarily in the playoffs that uh, i think are noteworthy to mention here uh dylan lupton came back to the truck series uh this weekend in that number 38 truck uh, and uh, he was able to come home with a 14th place finish. Uh, then you've got uh, Travis Pastrana uh, from the Sports Action uh, Series, and then Connor Daly from the IndyCar Series racing in the Truck Series. Connor Daly came home 18th. Uh, Travis Pastrana, I think, finished further back. I'm trying to see where his finish is here. 21st. Oh, there it is. 21st. Yeah, he finished 21st. And then also there was some news. Natalie Decker, who had some health issues, was not able to even start the race. Uh, She was not cleared medically to be able to start the race. Uh, So it was not – she she turned around and went back home. Turned out it was related to the gallbladder surgery that she had earlier this year. So uh, that was unfortunate news for uh, Natalie Decker. Yeah, you hate to say that, um, you know, that wasn't something that was made known until the start of the race when they showed the team pushing the truck behind the wall. So um, you hate to see that. You never want to see uh, anybody um, have issues like that and, and not be feeling well or be dealing with any kind of medical condition. So 
Um, the big thing we can say there is uh, we hope that Natalie feels better and, and gets better and gets back to the racetrack soon and, and she can finish out the season. So uh hated to see that certainly. And um, yeah, rather unfortunate there um, to, to visit the, the Connor Daly and Travis Pastrana battle there. It was a, a friendly wager, if you will, between the two to see who would uh, outdo who. Um, Connor Daly was, was fairly impressive. I know he finished 18th, but nonetheless, that was his first career truck series start. And to do so in an intermediate track where everything is so aero dependent and you have to learn how to draft and side draft and work the air like that, to learn all that in a short time and come away with what I would consider to be a respectable finish is impressive. You know, and I was actually uh, mm-hmm. listening to, to Travis's team on the radio that night. So it was kind of fun to listen to those guys battle through what they did. Certainly they worked through the handling on that truck throughout the night, but uh, Travis was thrown an incredible talent in all, in, in many forms of motorsports. And uh, certainly they battled hard to get the best finish they could. So uh, it was certainly a fun one. Okay. And as you mentioned, uh, uh, Sheldon Creed pretty much dominated the first two stages of the event, uh, winning both stages, his smart, uh, but the Hill's margin of victory was 0.546 seconds over uh, Sheldon Creed at the end of the race. There were five caution flights for 25 laps, and there were four lead changes among just four drivers uh, in this event. You mentioned Brett Moffat, uh, Sheldon Creed, Christian Eckes, and Austin Hill were the four drivers leading at some point. Uh, but now this was the first race in their playoffs uh, how do the point, points uh, stack up at this point, Jay? I'm sorry, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Let me just pull that up here real quick. Just take one second. Um, but, yeah, certainly this is important. We go into a very pivotal race next weekend uh, where the points can go either way. So as we uh, take a look here at the point standings, Sheldon Creed uh, is the points leader uh, by only eight points over Brett Moffat in second, Zane Smith in third, Grant Infinger in fourth, Tyler Rankrum uh, rounds out that top five. And the margin there is uh, only 37 points from first to fifth. Of course, having that kind of a lead over fifth, I think that if you're in the top three to four spots, you're feeling pretty good about your odds at advancing in this playoffs. But still, um, you know, not a huge margin for error. And, you know, as I said, we head to a, a rather unpredictable race this coming Saturday. So, um you know, not a lot of room for error moving forward. Okay, the next five. Uh, Matt Crafton is actually tied there with Tyler Ingram. Uh, Tyler gets the uh, position, though, based on the average finish uh, in the round. So Tyler Ingram finishes in the fifth spot with uh, Matt Crafton in sixth. Uh, the next uh, four drivers were Austin Hill, Christian Eckes, Ben Rhodes, and Todd Gilliland. 65 points from 10th to 1st in the series right now. Uh, So the two guys that are below the cutoff line for the next round right now, I believe it's just two drivers, right? Uh, Ben Rhodes and Todd Gilliland. That's correct, yeah. Basically, uh, we're going to go from the round of uh, 10 to the round of 8. So, um and the playoffs for the truck series begin at Bristol, and then we just ran uh, Vegas. So, yeah, that's, this, this weekend's a cutoff race, and uh, two drivers will be eliminated when it's all said and done. And uh, as of right now, um, 
looking at the points here, it, it appears. Uh, if you can just bear with me one second as I try to get those point standings back up here, as I'm looking at the. There we go. Sorry about that. We've got uh, Todd Gilliland and um, yeah Ben Rhodes right now that are outside looking in. So certainly uh, for those drivers, they're going to need to go to Talladega and, and have a big race. And as we all know, that's easier said than done sometimes when you go into an unpredictable mm-hmm. race like that. So um, certainly not a position they want to be in. But with that being said, it's not a position where they're out of it by any stretch of the means. You're absolutely right. Uh, but it is going to make the races at Talladega this weekend uh, very, very interesting. Uh, these drivers uh, understand they need to be in it to win it. And uh, they've got to really take care of their equipment and to be there at the end. And unfortunately, at a track like Talladega, you can be caught up in a situation that is not of your own doing. Uh, you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time and it can end your day. So uh, these guys definitely need to be on uh, their P's and Q's and and try to come home with the best finish they possibly can at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, Let's go ahead now and uh, move on to the Xfinity Series. I do have some post-race audio from the race winner, Chase Briscoe. I want to make sure we've got enough time to listen to that, Andy. Uh, it was yeah. the third annual. Yeah, I knew you'd like that. The third annual Alsco 300. Uh, Chase Briscoe is the winner at the age of 25, driving the number 98 Fields Ford for owner Gene Hawes and crew chief Richard Boswell II. It was his 10th victory in 78 Xfinity Series races. His eighth victory, he hit his goal. I'm so happy about that. And 19th, 19th top 10 finish uh, this year. This is also his second victory and third top 10 finish in six races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Noah Gregson, also a playoff contender, finished second, posting his fourth top 10 finish in five races at Las Vegas. And it is his 20th top 10 finish this year. Also impressive. Daniel Hemrick finished third, posting his second top 10 finish in six races at Las Vegas. Harrison Burton was ninth. He's the highest finishing rookie. And Chase Briscoe leads the series point standings by 17 points. Now over Austin Sendrick. That's pretty darn exciting. Now to finish out the top 10 here, you have uh, Justin Algauer and Austin Sendrick. I'm sorry, Justin Algauer and Ryan Sieg rounding out the top 10. The next five drivers are Austin Sendrick, Michael Lynette, Anthony Alfredo. I'm so impressed with what he's doing this year. Harris in ninth, and Justin Haley rounding out the top 10. Uh, just to go down to the 12th place here, you got Brandon Jones and Riley Erbst rounding out the top 12. So uh, your thoughts here with this group? Yeah, this was uh, this was a race of domination. It was a pretty quiet one, a lot like the truck race, but there was only one clear-cut car that was the best, and it was the 98. Uh, he led 164 laps out of 200, which is uh, extremely impressive won both stages, which interesting note here is the first time in Chase's Xfinity Series career 
that he's actually swept both stages and then went on to win the race. So, in fact, I want to say oh, it's cool. the first time that he actually has won uh, two stages in a race. So, um, I, I think that you know, winning eight races is no fluke; it's no mistake, and it it, uh, it really I think solidifies the talent level that you and I have both known for a while that he's had. But I think he's now starting to open a lot of people's eyes um, across you know people that watch the sport and, and those that are in the sport, um, just a, a remarkable race. And I, you know, can't say enough good things about him, certainly, but, you know, deep down to, um, you know, this, this is a statement win. And he said it himself, which I'm sure we'll listen to here momentarily, but um, this is the time of the year when, when playoff teams step up and, and have to perform like that. And, you know, throughout the summer months, you know, we, we to back up a little bit, we have grown accustomed to seeing this team win on almost a weekly basis. The spring, they went on a hot streak, right? And then throughout the summer, they mm-hmm. were still really, really good, but maybe, you know, we're chasing chasing Austin Cindric a little bit throughout the summer. But here in recent weeks, we've started to see the 98 team from early in the year reemerge, and this, there's no better time to do it than the present. So nonetheless, a big win for those guys. But looking back through here as well, just to talk about these other playoff cars, Good run for Noah Gregson. I know he's probably disappointed to run second, but that's a team that's been quiet lately. And for them to to come home with a strong run in second, I think, again, another example of a driver and team that uh, needed a good run. Justin Allgaier continues with a strong run there. Ryan Teague was actually incredibly impressive, Sharon. Um, early in the race, he mm-hmm. was he ran up in the top five, actually the better part of the night, and, and had a car that was, at times capable of, of contending for that lead. So a very impressive run for that team. We know they don't have the funding that some of these top tier teams do. So a very, very big performance from them. And then you look back a little bit further, Austin Sindrick was uncharacteristically not quite as good as you would have expected. They were decent, but that's a car you expect to lead every lap and contend for the, for the win. And they really were just a tick off that throughout the night, but nonetheless, solid run. Michael Annette, seventh place. Harrison Burton struggled a bit in ninth. Justin Haley in tenth. I'm just going through these playoff cars here. Brandon Jones, 11th and 12th uh, for him and Riley Herbst. I know the the Joe Gibbs cars were uh, probably disappointed with those finishes. Not really what they were looking for, I'm sure, but nonetheless come out of Vegas with with respectable finishes that allow them to um, keep a solid footing in the playoff standings. And then uh, Brandon Brown, in 15th and I think probably the bigger disappointment uh, of the playoff car sharing would have to be Ross Chastain from colleague racing back Mm -hmm. in 16th. They um, that's a car that you would expect to contend for the win and be up front. And and they were early on, but had some issues that they never quite recovered from some uh, contact with the wall that caused some right side damage. And they never really were able to recover from that. And plus, um, some contact on a late race restart that um, caused them to lose track position. So some ups and downs, which we see every week from the playoff cars and, and certainly I think sets the stage for the next one. 
Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, Chase has just uh, been phenomenal. Uh, as you mentioned, he won both of those stages. His margin of victory was 1.370 seconds over the second-place finisher, Noah Gregson. Uh, there were six caution flags for 28 laps and eight lead changes among just five drivers. So uh, that's uh, really uh Really an amazing race there for these uh, title contenders. Most of them finishing in the top 12 with those two exceptions that you mentioned. They finished 15th and 16th, uh, Brandon Brown and Ross Chastain. But uh, I really really was happy to see Chase Briscoe uh, get that eighth victory. He came into this season saying that he needed eight victories. And uh, here we are at Las Vegas Motor Speedway with his eighth victory of the season. So he wasn't just, uh, you know, out there blowing his horn. He was out there backing it up as well. So that, uh, but let's, uh, let's size up the points report after the Alpro 300. Indeed. Yeah. This is the important thing as we look ahead to, um, to Talladega, you know, a very unpredictable race, which I have to mention is the first ever, fall race for the Xfinity Series at Talladega, the first time that they will visit that track twice in one season, the first super speedway race in the playoffs for the Xfinity Series. That will be interesting. But nonetheless, Chase Briscoe, with that dominating win, uh, has pulled out slightly. Coming into this race, he was tied with Austin Sindrick as the points leader. He is now the points leader by 17 points over second place, Austin Sindrick. Noah Gregson, by virtue of his strong second place run, is in third. Justin Allgaier in fourth. Justin Haley uh, in the fifth position. All these drivers solidly uh, up there in the top five in points. Okay. And, uh, you know, he added to his uh, playoff points as well, Chase Briscoe did, by winning both of those chases, or both of those stages and uh, also winning the race. So uh, seven stage win, eight race wins, uh, pretty pretty amazing. He's got 57 uh, playoff points, 50 points for Austin Sindrick, which, you know, typically you'd be impressed with that, but Chase Briscoe's seven points ahead of him. Uh, the, the next closest, I think, is 33 with Justin Algauer, uh, North Gregson with 25, and Brandon Jones with 20 playoff points. Uh, Justin Haley with 18. Uh, Harrison Burton actually has 14 playoff points. Uh, and Ross Chastain with 10 playoff points. Those are the drivers that are in double digits for playoff points in this series. Uh, positions 6 through 10th include Brandon Jones, Ryan Sieg, Harrison Burton, Ross Chastain, Michael Annette, and again, the two drivers in positions 11 and 12 are Riley Erbst and Brandon Brown. A total of 88 points separating that 12th place position from the first place position. And uh, the bubble here is going to be interesting to watch, I think, Andy. It is indeed, and that's a really good point because um, two races to run before they go to the round of eight. So that means in positions 12 to nine will be eliminated, but there's only a two point spread between Harrison Burton, who's on the cut line and Ross Chastain, 
behind him. And then there's only eight points back to Michael Annette, who is only four points back of uh, O'Reilly Herbst is only four points back of Michael Annette. And then Brandon Brown is only six points back of him. And we're coming into a very unpredictable race this weekend. And I think some names to me that stand out, you know, that are below the cut line, Ross Chastain and, and potentially even Brandon Brown with, EC, with an ECR engine under the hood this weekend. Those are drivers and teams that can go out there and not just run well, but contend for the win. And if one of those drivers wins, it puts other drivers in a precarious position going to the, the Roval thereafter. So, um, you know, it's really anyone's guess as to who will make it to the next round and, and who will be eliminated. I don't think that we can rule any of these, these 12 teams out yet uh, just by virtue of the unpredictability we've got both this coming week and the following week. So um, it's going to be extremely interesting to say the least. Um, but just to just to touch on, on Briscoe again, you know, it's one thing to say you're going to win eight races. It's another thing to go out there and do it. And, you know, it's important to note that, you know, with his eight wins, the next closest competitor with Austin Sindrick has five, which in itself is impressive, but um, just incredible statistics when you look at his numbers this year. Um, just, just incredibly impressive, to say the very least. And I, I think when you consider there's six races left in the season, it's probably not going to stop there. I, I think I, I, and I'm going to take credit for this chair. And if you don't mind tooting my own horn briefly, but I said before <laughs> the year started, he'd, he would win 10 races. And I think I'm probably going to prove myself correct, which I don't usually do very often, but I'm proud of this guy. <laughs> I, I think he's an incredible talent and, and he's, he's proven me right so far. So pretty cool to see him do what he's doing. Well, and- Andy, I know you know that I'm in full agreement with you on that. Uh, we've watched oh, Chase Fisco yeah. rise up through the ranks here, uh, going for, from the as an Arkham Menard Series champion with Cunningham Motorsports and now uh, racing here as a uh, potential champion in the Xfinity Series. So uh, pretty, pretty, it's been pretty fun to watch uh, Chase Fisco. Let's listen to what he had to say after winning uh, his eighth win in the Xfinity Series. Now joined by tonight's winner of the Costco 300, Chase Briscoe, driver of the number 98 Seward Haas Racing Ford. Chase, you had a pretty uh, dominating performance tonight. I think it was the most laps this year uh, about the car you had tonight and uh, how you got it across uh, in first place. Yeah, just uh, an unbelievable car. Um, first off, everybody at Stewart Austin Racing to, to bring a car like that to the opening round of the playoffs is uh, a huge confidence booster. I feel like it's a big statement. So, um, you know, that thing was on rails. Um, it was so easy to drive. It was by far the best race car I've ever had, at least after that first stage. Um, you know, the first stage we struggled a little bit, but we were still good enough to, um, you know, get up front and win that stage. But after that, um, you know, it was – it was so good to drive. Um, I wish we could have that type of balance uh, over these next six weeks because we'll be really, really strong if we do. So, um, you know, outside of that, I'm super happy to get fields in victory lane. This is the only race they do all year long. And um, to be able to get them in victory lane is uh, certainly a big deal. Okay. So, uh, Chase Briscoe, very happy with that victory. Uh, making the statement, best car he's ever had. So, and easy to drive. So, that's what a driver wants when they're contending for a championship, Andy. 
Yeah, sure do. And, you know, like I said, if there's ever a time to, to put performances together like that, it's the postseason. And, you know, something you said a few weeks ago, Sharon, when we were, you know, looking at some of the difficulties that they had, you said, you know, some teams always show up when it matters most. And, and I think that's an example of, of what they've been able to do, certainly to start the playoffs off here this weekend. So, um, you know, big deal for them. And, and they're already in that next round just like that. So um, incredible performance for them, and they don't have to worry about these next two races, which is uh, a good good thing for them because the next two races are going to be uh, pretty wild for the Xfinity Series, and um, it's going to be fun to watch that. But certainly you want to be someone that can, uh, can go into those races and not have to stress over it, and now they don't by virtue of uh, really just, just putting putting a, a really impressive race together on uh, Saturday. Without a doubt. Now, uh, I would think that this next race was probably uh, an interesting race to watch, too. Kurt Busch was 0 for 21 uh, victories at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, his home track, coming into this race and was able to come home with the victory. Uh, at the age of 42 in the number one Monster Energy Chevrolet for Chip Ganassi Racing and crew chief Matt McCall. It was his 32nd victory in 715 Cup Series races, his first victory in 16th top 10 finish this year, and the first victory in 6th top 10 finish in 23 races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Matt DiBenedetto finished second, posting his second top 10 finish in nine races at Las Vegas, and it was his eighth top 10 finish this year. Denny Hamlin in third posted his eighth top 10 finish in 19 races at Las Vegas, and Cole Custer was 16th as the highest finishing rookie. Kevin Harvick leads the series point standings by just three points over Denny Hamlin. To finish out the top 10 here, we have Martin Truex Jr. finishing in fourth place. Alex Bowman finished fifth, followed by the next five drivers, Kyle Busch, also his home track, Ryan Blaney, Eric Jones, Chris Busher, and Kevin Harvick rounding out the top 10. If I go down to the top 16 drivers, it was Jimmy Johnson, Clint Boyer, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Ryan Newman, and Cole Custer rounding out the top 16. Only, no, I'm sorry, there were two drivers that did not finish inside the top 16. Two playoff drivers, Eric Amarola finishing in 17th, and Austin Dillon with a disappointing 32nd place finish. And additionally, Chase Elliott in uh, 22nd, too. So there were... There were some oh, ups okay. and downs Sorry, with, I these, that one. with these. Um, yeah, no worries. There were there were certainly some ups and downs for these playoff cars, and it, and I think some late race restarts and some wild restarts really uh, changed the uh, complexion of this race. Uh, for example, Kurt Busch, someone who was below the cut line coming in, and someone who wasn't even in the top ten in in the first two stages, um, caught a caution right was leading the race when the caution came out when a lot of the leaders had pitted and uh, was able to maintain the lead through not one but several restarts and um, just did his job, did an incredible job to earn the win. And now that he's moved himself into the round of eight, it puts pressure 
on those below the cut line that now have to go into two wild card races and try to make that next round. So, you know, certainly some ups and downs. And, and as I look through, you know, some of these results for the playoff cars, you know, Hamlin and Truex, great nights for them. Alex Bowman, I think someone that we were wondering about in terms of performance, they've been pretty good in the playoffs. A solid top five for them. Kyle Busch rebounded from some early damage in the race to finish sixth. But, you know, that's kind of where it ends as far as the good finishes for the playoff cards. Kevin Harvick, I mean, look at the year he's had in which he's he's won nine races and been um, easily one of the favorites, if not the favorite this year. Uncharacteristic performance for that team. They ran about eight to tenths all night and finished in tenth. They were never a factor for the win. Uh, Clint Boyer was was top 10 throughout a portion of the night, but late race restarts really hampered their progress. They finished 12th. Brad Keselowski in 13th. Joey Logano 14th. They had their issues throughout the night. Eric Almarola and that team struggled immensely, um, finished in 17th, and that's really where they ran throughout a lot of the night. And then Chase Elliott, who actually, to me, this was one of the big disappointments of the race because they finished fourth and first in the first two stages. They had a car capable of winning the race, but late race restarts really hampered their progress and uh, took them from easily a top five finish to 22nd. And, um, you know, Austin Dillon, who's been so impressive in these first three races of the playoffs. Um, and, and even, even tonight at Las Vegas in the fourth race of the playoffs, he, uh, they had mechanical problems, a heartbreak for a team that's really stepped up their performance lately, and they finished in 32nd. So um, some ups and downs that creates uh, some very intriguing uh, couple of weeks ahead for us. Yeah, the only driver not going to be worried over these next two races is going to be Kyle Bush. I'm sorry, Kurt Bush, who has uh, punched his ticket to the next round uh, early in this round. Uh, now, Denny Hamlin won the first stage. It was Chase Elliott winning the second stage. There were seven caution flags for 20 lead changes among just 11 drivers. So it sounds like there was a lot of uh, back and forth there on the track. Uh, let's go ahead and cover the points reports after Las Vegas, Sandy. Yeah, so Kevin Harvick is still the points leader. He has a just a mere three-point margin over Denny Hamlin. Brad Keselowski in third, Martin Truex Jr. and TJ in fourth, and uh, Joey Logano in fifth. Um, so certainly, certainly predictability there, but a very close battle for that points lead. Yes, indeed. You've got uh, what? What is that? Fifty points separating the number five driver from the uh, number one driver. Uh, just three points between Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick. But, the again, if you look at the uh, playoff points with these drivers, uh, 67 playoff points for Kevin Harvick compared to 49 playoff points for Denny Hamlin. It goes down from there. Brad Keselowski now has 35 playoff points. Martin Truex Jr. only has 16. And Joy Logano and Chase Elliott are both tied with 22 playoff points. So uh, this is these are the drivers that are in double digits for playoff points in this series. If we go down the list here, uh, I'll go just uh, five down, and then you can do the last six uh, 
uh, Andy, I'll go with uh, Chase Elliott in sixth, Bowman in seventh. Then you go to Kyle Busch and Kurt Busch in eighth and ninth. And Clint Boyer rounds out the top ten drivers. And after uh, Boyer in tenth, and then we have to look at the uh, the drivers that are uh, in a bit of an issue here. Um, you know, Kurt Busch punched his ticket. So Clint Boyer, uh, Eric Almarola, and Austin Dillon round out your top 12. Um, and again, Kyle Busch, um, even though he's eighth in points, by virtue of his brother winning that race, he's also below the cut line. I think it's important to note, looking at these points here, that only the top two have really pulled away from the rest of the pack. I think that despite the playoff points that some of these cars have, the points margin is actually pretty tight going all the way up into the top five in points back to 12. And that's important because we go to a race this weekend where um, we know what's looming ahead in terms of potential accidents. And if several of these playoff cars get caught up in those incidents, we could see a huge change in, in those that are above and below the cut line. So, um, you know, NASCAR changed some races in the playoffs this year to add that excitement level, and and I think they've really potentially delivered on that because we are in in store for um, some big fluctuations in the points potentially, and uh, you know it doesn't stop there. The following week has its own element of unpredictability too. So, um, you know, that's the thing to note is unless you're Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, and now Kurt Busch, it's uh, it's going to be a tough couple weeks ahead, I think. I think you're right. And Kurt Busch, I don't think anybody expected him to come home a winner from Las Vegas. Uh, you, you mentioned that he cut a lock, he cut a caught a lucky break uh, by getting uh, into the lead during a rotation of the pit pit stop, and uh, uh, it just goes to show you really don't know what's going to happen in these upcoming races, even at a track like Las Vegas, uh, you know, to catch the lucky break the way Kurt Busch did and to be able to come home with that victory. Uh, kudos for him and his team uh, to be in the right position at the right time to come home with that victory. But then that unpredictability just increases with these next two races. Now, I do have a couple of uh, a comment here from Kurt Busch after winning in the um, uh, his first race at, at his home track of Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, I think he was pretty pumped about that victory. Yeah, I would think so. Tonight, race winner of the South Point 400 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Kurt Busch, driver of the number one Chip Ganassi Racing Chevrolet. And, and Kurt, congrats. Like I said, I know we got going to have a lot of questions from the media here, so I'm going to kick it to them. If you have a question for Kurt, please raise your hand. We'll get right to you. We'll kick it off with Lee Spencer. Go ahead, Lee. Sorry, I wasn't ready for that. That was quick. Congratulations, champ. Thank you, Lee. Man, I, I know how bad you've wanted to win this race. Has it sunk in at all? I mean, the celebration up there, that was memorable, but um, after getting the Daytona 500, I knew that this was just absolute tops on your list. Uh, this this is 20 years of, of agony, defeat, and, and now today with triumph. I don't know if I have any more gas left or if I just filled my tank up to go win every race that I'm going to jump in next. 
this feeling of, of growing up here and watching the track get built from from the desert gravel pit that it was by Richie Klein and, and his group. And then when Speedway Motorsports came in and bought it, I'm like, man, there's going to be a cup race there. I hope I can, you know, make my way up through legend cars. And just all the memories, all the memories. I'm going to go ahead and cut it off there, but he ha- he does have a lot of memories at that track, and you can still hear the emotion in his voice after getting that first victory at his home track uh, and how important that was for him. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, you love seeing special moments like that, and, and for him to go 20 years and finally win a Cup Series event at his home track is a really big deal. And you have to give a lot of credit to his team. They ran a little bit different pit strategy. They ran longer than most. They caught the caution right, and they, they went through several restarts, held the lead, and went to victory lane. And that's the the beauty of the playoffs is, you know, sometimes a team that's below the cut line finds – that magic, if you will, and goes out there, the job done. And that's precisely what Kurt Busch did, a former champion in the Cup Series, somebody that uh, has had a lot of success in this sport. And and that's what's fun about it is every week we always try to predict the winners, right? And uh, sometimes someone comes out of there and surprises you. And I think Kurt Busch surprised us a little bit to earn his first win of the year, but there's no better time to earn that first win of the year than right now. And so a big win for him and, and you never know momentum and, and confidence from that win could, could really make this team do some things we didn't expect them to, to finish out the season. Well, yes, indeed. Well, we're past the half hour mark and, and uh, we are ready now for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining us is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Appreciate it. Excited to be here. I know we don't have a lot of breaking news, but I think there's still some good things to talk about following this weekend. Yeah, we might even get it done in an hour. How about that? That's possible, although all oh. of us like to talk, so it's always a challenge. <laughs> Okay, and also joining us for tonight's Hot Topics is uh, Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello, how's everybody doing? We're doing fantastic. Uh, Jay, let's go ahead and have you uh, uh, kick off our NASCAR Hot Topics sound off here. Well, I know you and Andy there were uh, just kind of talking about it as you wrapped up the uh, NASCAR Cup review. Kurt Busch winning, going from essentially 12th, from the bottom to the top, 12th to first, as it is uh, with that win. And the momentum that that carries, not just for that team, but then also the downward momentum, it kind of puts on a couple other teams. Interesting. Good point. Let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about it. Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this win was huge. It was really, really big for Kurt Busch. It was not so big for Kyle Busch. Um, Kyle Busch is still in the hunt, but he was not in a great position to start out with. He kind of salvaged a decent finish by the end of the race, but he did miss out on stage points, I believe, in stage one and stage two. So he left a little bit on the table there. And then with a driver that was below the cut line going into the race, winning the race, that just puts Kyle Busch in just that less advantageous position where he's going to need to either score more points or go out there and win one of these upcoming races at two tracks that traditionally have not been particularly kind to Kyle Busch. Okay. Andy, your follow-up or your thoughts? 
Yeah, you know, as as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think it's whenever somebody steps up and, and wins like that below the cut line, um, kind of comes out of left field, if you will. That's what makes the playoffs kind of fun. Um, Kurt Busch has, has been below the cut line and, and wasn't even in the top ten most of the night, and for them to catch a lucky break with a caution, but able to go through several restarts with a car good enough to stay out front and win the race, the gamble paid off, and, and that's what makes it pretty cool is when it, when a team and a driver can, can step up and and get the job done like that and, and throw a wrench into things, if you will, because now you've got a lot of pressure on Austin Dillon, Eric Elmarola, Clint Boyer, and Kyle Busch as we go into two of probably the most unpredictable races of the season. So um, a lot of pressures on those teams as uh, they try to make that next round, and we can only imagine how that's going to go this weekend. So, um, But, yeah, I don't think Kurt Busch was on anybody's radar necessarily uh, to win this race and um, or, or even make the next round based on where they've been running. But uh, the, the cool part about it is, you know, they were able to step up, they got the job done, and, and a win like this can can oftentimes breathe new life into a team to where maybe they do go out there and, and set the, the rest of the playoffs on fire or at least put themselves in a position to make the Final Four. You just never know because now they've at least put themselves into that next round. So certainly um, a big win for them and uh, really puts, um, puts a lot of pressure on some other teams. Yeah, it's just ironic that uh, uh, with Kurt Busch's win and how exciting and emotional of a win that was, uh, it really his win put his brother uh, a little bit more at jeopardy of uh, not making it to the next round. Uh, but I don't think, uh, based on what Kyle Busch said last week, though, after Bristol, uh, I think he kind of halfway expected something like this, and he knew that he was vulnerable. But I, th- I think the bigger question is uh, we've got two interesting tracks coming up with Talladega and, and the Roval, uh, whether or not he can now step up and kind of rise above uh, for what he's been able to do this season and maybe do the same thing and catch a break and be able to get a victory in this round. Um, uh, and and just just like Kurt Busch was able to catch that break, it is possible uh, that some of these other drivers can catch a break in these next two races as well. So it's going to be fun to watch, uh, Jay, and I can't wait to see what happens. What are your thoughts? Well, it, it's interesting, you know, whether or not the, you can build off that momentum. Obviously, they weren't having the best of nights even there at Las Vegas race kind of played into their favor, but they still did capitalize on it. And that's what it's all about. Uh, Whether or not they can then do that again in the next round. The good thing is, is they have two weeks to focus on that next round because they don't have to spend the worryless nights. Like we're going to see the other teams as we head into Talladega and the Roval. So they can put that focus on, uh, you know, the next round. So I think that kind of lends into their favor and we've seen it. Uh, Austin Dillon was another one that wasn't really expected to come out as strong as he did. And unfortunately his went in the other direction, but we might see that where this team can then uh, build on that and continue into the next round. And like Andy said, it could happen at any point. So uh, they're doing it at the right time. If that's the case. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, Mike, did you have any follow-up? Yeah, I think uh, everyone kind of had Las Vegas circled as the track where they wanted to win. Obviously, every car wants, every driver wants to win every weekend. But in terms of having a race where they feel that they can go out there and win on their merits versus having luck play into their favor and whatnot, and then all of a sudden we see luck play into their favor and Kurt Busch gets to win. Um, but these next two races, I think, are going to be – uh, very difficult and very stressful for everybody not named Kurt Busch in these playoffs because who knows? I mean, there's a lot of other variables and factors that go in there. Talladega is famously a bingo machine. You know, whatever number comes out of the machine at the end, there's your there's your winner for the race. It's very difficult to predict. And then the Roval, there's some cream that can rise to the top there. We've seen Chase Elliott probably be the very best road course racer in the series over the past year or two. Martin Truex and Denny Hamlin also come to mind as uh, early favorites for the Roval. But again, there's so much going on at that place. It's really hard to to, to really write their name in ink as far as a potential winner either. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, like I said, um, you know, unless you're uh, Harvick, Hamlin, or, or Bush, um, the, the point spread there between really Keselowski on back through the end of the cut line is uh, is pretty tight, and I, I think that we're going to see a pretty big change in the points possibly um, at the end of the race on Sunday, you know, and, and who knows? Maybe Talladega's team and there's no wrecks. I mean, who am I kidding? Of course, there's going to be wrecks. So it's, <laughs> there's going to be playoff cars in those wrecks, and there's there's going to be some teams that thought they were in good shape that won't be in good shape, and vice versa. So um, if you're significantly below the cut line, I think exiting Talladega, then you probably have to worry a fair amount going into the Roval. But if I just think that we're going to see a pretty big change possibly in either direction uh, this coming weekend. And um, you got to give NASCAR credit for making the schedule the way they did. They took out a lot of the mile and a half and added in some wild card tracks, you know, or, and moved some things around. And who, I mean, who would have thought that Talladega and the Roval would be in the same round? So um, one, one wild <laughs> one to the next. And, and that's what makes it interesting because, we, we can see different drivers and teams step up on various types of racetracks. And, you know, you, you just don't know who can, especially this weekend, you just don't know who's going to win that race. And it could be a, it could be a predictable winner. It, it could be someone below the cut line. It could be a non-playoff car that wins the race. So, um, you know, and we just have to, to wait and see how it plays out. But I certainly think that there's not very many of them that are in a safe spot moving into uh, these next two races. Okay. Uh, Jay, did you have any final thoughts? Well, a couple of things that, that Mike and Andy hit on here is is the unknown then of Talladega, obviously, as well as the Roval. You still have a couple of big names such as Martin Truex and Chase Elliott that we expect to be the heavy contenders. But if you were to get another, and even keeping it within the playoffs, I think is more of an impact driver below that cut line that moves up you do have a couple i think andy said it that maybe thought they were in decent position even with points uh that might pop up and you're going to have a couple of names on the outside looking in all of a sudden obviously it's not going to be kevin harvick or denny hamlin i don't think that's even possible for those two at this point but we also saw alex bowman kind of put on a show and i know he's got some good stats at the roval so this round certainly is interesting, like, like Sharon mentioned. The way NASCAR set this one up, uh, I know Larry McReynolds talked about it on Race Hub. And a wild man did it, and it couldn't have come out any better. 
<laughs> okay, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. And Mike, I'll let you kick that one off. Well, this is another one kind of stemming from this weekend and rolling back to the previous weekend at Bristol. After the Bristol race, Kyle Busch had said Joey Logano has no friends on the racetrack, and during the week, Joey kind of embraced that. He said, yeah, I come to the racetrack. I don't, nobody's my friend on the racetrack. And then we saw not even 100 laps into the race at Las Vegas. That kind of cost him. Um, Kyle Busch didn't give him any room, made contact with Joey's car. Joey cut a tire down and then ended up spending the majority of the rest of the race one lap down. And as a result, he missed out on the opportunity to get stage points in stages one and two. So that no friends on the racetrack thing probably cost Joey Logano the opportunity to at least gain stage points uh, at that race. And as a result, especially with Kurt Busch winning the race, Joey kind of fell behind a little bit where he otherwise could have advanced. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? I, I I think this is it's a double-edged sword to some degree because I, I do think that having an attitude where you're not out there to make friends allows you to be more aggressive and it allows you to maybe, you know, get wins here and there that you might not otherwise get because you're perhaps worried about what other drivers think. That being said, you can cross the line and be too aggressive. And when you do that, there will be repercussions that come back to bite you. And we've seen this happen before. Uh, Matt Kenseth and Joey Logano 2015. I think we all remember what happened there. Um, you know, you have to be able to get through these playoffs without running into issues with other drivers. If you expect to win a championship. And unfortunately, if you make too many enemies on the racetrack, you're never going to win that championship. So we know that he's done it before in 2018, but in order for him to go out there and win a second championship, you know, he he's going to have to, you know, not upset the other drivers, I guess, is, is the only way I can really put that. And unfortunately, um, he, you know, and, and unfortunately I can't put all the blame on Joey because this 550 package we have at the intermediate tracks, you can't pass. The only way that you can protect your position on the racetrack is to block, and you have to throw blocks in order to maintain your position because if you don't block, you can lose several spots and not get it back throughout the course of a run. So it's easy to see why these drivers are putting these absurd blocks on other drivers and there's no give and take because if you do that, you're going to run 20th versus maybe running 5th. So I understand why he does the things he does on the racetrack, but at the same time, if you upset too many people, it will come back to bite you eventually. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, Andy kind of hit on it there at the end. I was listening to Sirius XM uh, radio this afternoon with Dave Moody. You got to take away from it. It's not just about not having friends on the track. It's making enemies. Uh, there's a couple drivers out there that whether they run good or bad, there are other people out there that are okay with them no matter what, even if they do have a run-in or a little bit of a scuffle with them. Once you get to that aggression point, it's you're making enemies, and that obviously can come back to bite you, uh, can end up somebody putting you in the wall, as uh, he referred to back a few years ago with Matt Kenseth. And, and that's pretty tough to do because Matt Kenseth is, a, is pretty much one that's friendly on the track with everybody, but that tells you the limit they can be pushed to. So that's where the key comes in, especially right now during the playoffs. And I think back to Martin Truex and Joey Logano back a couple of years 
uh, at Martinsville. Uh, Martin obviously wasn't happy, but also let it go and didn't show that retaliation because he didn't want to create the enemy. You know, he let it be as I wasn't happy with it, but let it go at that. Okay. Uh, some interesting thoughts there. Mike, your thoughts. Yeah, um, you, Jerry really hit it on, on the head there. There's that fine line between making friends. Yeah, you're, you're trying to beat these guys, so you're not going to let somebody buy. But at the same time, there is that line where too far is too far. Um, as far as like the block that Logano put on Elliott early in the year, obviously we know there's some history with them dating back to the earlier Bristol race. So I'm not sure if that was a little bit of a factor in there or what was going on, or if it was just straight up trying to protect, protect his position, like Andy said, but you start checking off these names of people who are going to, if not actively try and wreck you, definitely hang you out to dry and then you show up at a place like Talladega, that's not a very good place to show up with somebody who's just looking to shuffle you into that middle lane by yourself and run you from the top five back into 30th place. Okay, so it could hurt him more than just one race. Andy, your thoughts? Uh, I don't have any follow-up on this one. I'm, I'm good. Okay, Jay? Yeah, I think, uh, again, it's going to come down to it uh, down the road of how many many more drivers we see. Right now it seems to be focused between Kyle Busch and Joey Logano, but we've also seen Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Matt Kenseth. So uh, there's always that one key common factor, and that's where it comes in to really possibly bite you. Uh, we'll have to see if it, if it continues in the next couple of races. Uh, again, Joey, I think, is one that should make it into the round of eight, but – We'll have to wait and see as these next races play out. Okay. Michael, your final thoughts. Yeah, that's about it. Um, It's obvious uh, Joey Logano's got some beef with some guys on the track, and Talladega is one of those places where those beefs can tend to show up pretty quickly. So it should be uh, another thing to keep an eye on with what happens to the 22 car this weekend. All right. Andy, you get the next top topic subject. Well, I'm really hoping we get some news about this this week, and allegedly we will possibly something to discuss heavily Thursday night. But the 2021 schedule is apparently about to be released, and and I just want to talk about some of the rumors, some good, some bad, but um, potentially five to six road course races, the elimination of Chicagoland and Kentucky, the addition of a Bristol dirt race, Circuit of the Americas and possibly a Nashville Grand Prix race, which I only just heard about today. Again, this is all rumor, but nonetheless, want to get your thoughts on these potential changes and um, if we'll see any more big ones heading into next season. Okay, Jay, your thoughts about that? Uh, well, actually, he threw a couple out there. I hadn't even heard uh, heard whisper of there. I mean, I know we talked about Chicagoland earlier with the possible resale and then or the sale, but that seemed didn't seem to be developing. So we'll have to wait and see if that's one of them. However, the one I heard was Atlanta picking up a second date, which would then maybe be uh, parallel to Kentucky or Chicago losing there. So that'd be interesting. The addition of a, of a six-road course, uh, we kind of heard that already with the Circuit of Americas, and that's going to swap out at Texas if that comes to be true. 
Um, so there's a couple of different things, and then there's a couple of dates moving uh, that I had listed, Miami becoming the second race of the season. So start with Atlanta, picking up a second date. I, I understand tracks, and this may be something NASCAR has to look at in the future. Tracks can't hardly survive depending on where they're located. I know Charlotte is one that does a lot during off weekends that they're not racing with that facility. Not all facilities have that capability uh, or are in a location to do so. So I think that might come into play, but that might be something we see down the line in the future. I, I know it's been slightly talked about of a track, say, as Atlanta will get to this next year of 2021, the following year, another track gets to and Atlanta goes back to one where they kind of bounce that around of every so many years you get two races, uh, you know, which logistically, again, I'm sure NASCAR has looked at all that. Be interesting. Uh, we talked about the dirt track at Bristol. And, again, I'm sure there's people still trying to figure out where MJ came from on that. Not particularly a big fan <laughs> of it. I saw the uh, the Twitter poll on it. I think it was 84 to 16 uh, percentage-wise that we're not in favor of it. And, and I can't argue it. I mean, again, having the experience I've had watching it at the Dome, and that's a fifth-mile track, on a track like that for cup cars at Bristol, I just don't see it working. As much as I would love it, I just don't see it working and turning out good. So I would have to scrub that idea. Um, and, again, we don't know for sure if that's going to happen or if they'll leave it, even leave it open, leave the Bristol date there and say it may become a dirt race. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, the other one, again, adding that other road course, again, we just got to watch that line of uh, how many good racing or not, how much of a good thing is too much. Uh, again, we don't want to become the, the Trans Am Series or the IMSA Circuit Series of road course racing circuit. You know, NASCAR is what it is for a reason, and that's been that it's been on the ovals, whether they be mile and a half or not. Same with short tracks night racing. You want a mixture. So I don't want to see them overdo it on any of those um, tracks or, or, you know, again, whether it's daytime, nighttime racing. Keep it where it is a mixture so that everybody is happy. Or find that happy medium. Uh, you're never going to make everybody happy. We already know that. Okay, Mike, your thoughts about uh, the schedule for next season? Yeah, a lot to unpack here. I think I saw the same rumor that Andy did about Kentucky and Chicagoland losing their singular dates. Um, as far as the future of those facilities, I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I don't think that they have a whole lot going on aside from the NASCAR Cup Series dates that use those facilities. At least in that terms of turning a profit to keep the uh, keep them open. I don't know what the future of those uh, those tracks are. I, I would hate to lose them. Kentucky. I, I, I've made it no secret that I'm not a huge fan of of the racing at Kentucky. Chicagoland. That one would be a little bit worse to, to lose. The racing there has improved as that surface is worn, but I think Chicagoland is kind of a victim of its configuration. Not so much that the on-track racing is bad. It's just that everyone points at you know the aggregated mile-and-a-half racetracks, whether it's Chicago or Texas, Kentucky, Kansas, et cetera, and Chicago gets lumped in there with all of them, and they all kind of have a negative perception right now. So with the with the property deals being with the way they are, it may be that this Chicago is an attractive option to cut out of the schedule in favor of what's more popular right now, i.e. road course and short track racing. Speaking of short track racing, Bristol ain't broke. We don't need to fix it. Um, 
there's a there is another short track that's currently on the schedule and if we want to bury it in dirt and try and race it on there let's do it at richmond the racing at bristol has been very good one of the few places on the nascar cup series schedule that hasn't put on a snoozer in the past probably five years i can't think of a bad bristol race there's been some that have moments that are not the best here and there but by and large the racing at bristol is still some of the very best that's on the cup series schedule currently richmond for whatever reason has not had the most entertaining racing this past uh, race at Richmond a couple weeks ago was not the most thrilling race, and the majority of Richmond races over the past probably five years or so have left something to be desired from a viewability standpoint. So if we're going to dump a bunch of dirt on a short track that we already have on the schedule, maybe we try it at Richmond. They've already got two dates. Bury it for one of them. See what happens. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But leave Bristol alone. Um, putting Miami in the second race of the year. That makes sense. I mean, the, the weather being what it is in February, it really limits the number of tracks that are available. So Miami being the second race of the year, it makes a decent uh, decent move. I really don't care one way or the other, to be honest with you. I don't think it has a major bearing on the overall impact of the season. Um, as far as adding road courses, yet to be seen. I mean, we've heard rumored of Coda. We've heard rumor of a couple other places. Um, obviously, we know there's the three that are traditionally the NASCAR Cup Series uh Short uh, road course tracks, you got Sonoma, Watkins Glen, and the Charlotte Roble. Uh, I would imagine if they're going to go up to six, the Daytona road course is probably back in play. So that leaves at least one, maybe two more out there who we really don't know, and maybe it's not on our radar. It might be Road America, or it might be something that we've never seen a, a stock car on before. I'm really interested to see where that goes. That's probably the biggest question mark right now with the 2021 schedule. Okay, Andy, what are your thoughts? Well, um, some some intriguing rumors, and, and I can't stress that enough right now. We don't know anything for 100% certain, and I'm really hoping that we do. Allegedly, this week, we will should know something to where we can discuss the exact details Thursday. But with that being said, um, we all love road coursing, or at least I know I do. But, yeah, you wouldn't want to see there be too much, exactly like what Jay said. So I... I have to wonder if they do add a couple, three road course races for next year, if if that's too much. I think, you know, four or five races is probably good, and if that's what it winds up being, that's probably the perfect amount because you don't want road course racing to define the NASCAR Cup Series, which is in itself defined as an oval track series. Um, But I'm not going to be critical about it because the fans have been saying short tracks and road courses, that's what we want. That's what they're apparently going to give us. And they do put on some really good racing. So I won't complain at all about the addition of potential road courses. That's the part that that, that intrigues me because, you know, as the rumor goes, it's five or six races and we already, we were at three. We had a fourth this year by virtue of the COVID. So we can only imagine that we've got Sonoma, Watkins Glen, the Charlotte Roval, potentially the Daytona road course. And then there's two, what I would consider to be mysteries. Uh, again, one of the rumors I did hear was potentially a, a Nashville road course race for NASCAR. We already know IndyCar is going there. That would be huge. I think if um, NASCAR did that street course, which street courses are rumored for the future. Um, and then you have to wonder about road America. Uh, they put on, you know, a great show for the Xfinity Series. And if Chicagoland does, in fact, lose its its Cup Series and potentially Xfinity and truck dates, you have to wonder, given 
you know, that region of the country still, in my opinion, um, deserving um, to to see NASCAR racing. Um, maybe maybe those dates move there. Maybe, you know, that part of the country, instead of getting a mile and a half of date, it gets shifted up the road a bit to Road America. So I don't think that would necessarily be a bad thing. I, I do think that... Um, you know, NASCAR's presence in the upper Midwest is, is lacking, and, you know, you really would hate to see Chicago lose a date, but if it means that Road America gains, you know, the ability to have all three series there, you know, I, I think that might not be a bad trade off. You know, so maybe that's a, a, the trend that we're going to see is, you know, maybe less mile and a half in favor for some road courses, but we don't necessarily lose the markets. Kentucky, um, hate to say it they can bulldoze that place for all i care um you know so if that one goes away so be it um not a big deal there but uh yeah interesting changes the bristol dirt race i hope that's just a pipe dream i hope that if they do choose to raise on dirt that it's at an established dirt facility i know we talked about this one on a recent show but um that might be the official debacle of 2021 should they go through with those plans so we'll just have to wait and see how it goes. Um, again, supposedly going to hear something about the schedule this week. I know it's getting to be that time of the year. So hopefully we'll know some hard, uh, some facts, I should say, um, you know, by perhaps the Thursday show. But nonetheless, um, some interesting changes and uh, potentially seeing a bigger shakeup in the schedule for next year than we've seen in recent times. Okay. Uh, Jay, your follow-up. Well, let's hope uh, Andy stays with the keys to the airplanes as a pilot and not to a bulldoze driver if he's just that eager to start rampant, <laughs> running things down. But Only um, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you say now. Once you got the keys in and get behind the, uh, behind the shifters, uh, you never know. Um, the one Mike's thing you mentioned the there that... Ball, so. Well, yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know he's got a couple on his list, but keeping it in the Midwest, I the one thing I do, don't understand if if these things are all true, of at least from the fans' perspective that we talk about on here, uh, Atlanta obviously couldn't hold two dates. Putting a second one back there, it is a good track to run on the way the track is, but so is Chicagoland. Chicagoland has actually produced some of the best mile-and-a-half racing over the past several years. That's what really throws me. They have it set up where all four series are there to include the Arkham Menard series. Uh, I don't see all four going into Road America, and, and I'm one. You've heard me talk about it. Having been there, Road America is a great facility. Uh, the cup cars on there might be a little more interesting, but um, I would love to see that, but I don't think it should be at the expense of one of the good mile and a half tracks and I know I'm not the one that's most anti mile and a half so I'll leave that to, to Mike and Andy of why Chicagoland then you know and again from the best of my recollection having been there the last couple of years here with fan for racing the crowd there seems to be good so I don't see what the issue is but again I'm not in all the financials and everything else with it so the other one I think we're leaving off here when we're talking about road courses is the Xfinity did it this year is the one road course designed within a track is Indianapolis. We've heard that possibly rumored to be looked at for the cup series. 
And that is one where, again, I'm not necessarily a big fan of it as a whole, but Indy has struggled. They have tried to change the date to it uh, as far as weather, put it as the first or the playoff race, then they put it as the cutoff race going into it to try and draw the fan interest back there since its inception when they sold out. So that is one where I see they may have to do something different at that facility based on the fan attendance. The others I don't know that I necessarily agree with, but again, I don't have all the numbers to to directly look at. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Your follow-up? Yeah, that's about it. Uh, According to Jim Utter, um, it's supposed to be a 3 p.m. Eastern time announcement on Wednesday for the uh, for the first half of the 2021 schedule. Um, So Jim Utter is usually somebody you can take to the bank for something like that. I haven't seen anything official from NASCAR themselves. But if Jim Utter is saying that we should get something at 3 p.m. on Wednesday, I'm going to be paying attention at about 245 and see what's coming. Okay. Andy, did you have any follow-up? Yeah, I would like to, you know, I would like to go to the defense of Chicagoland. I know I've been vocal about not being a huge mile-and-a-half fan, but I do really enjoy the worn-out mile-and-a-half tracks because they do put on good racing, and Chicagoland fits that bill. So I would hate to see that date go away for two reasons. One is the worn-out surface because it does actually produce good racing, so I do agree with Jay on that. And secondly is the market. I think that it's a unique market that um, is really underserved uh, overall. Like I said, you know, we do have Road America up there, and you've got Gateway, which isn't too far away. Um, But as far as Cup Series racing, it's just, you know, to this point, just Chicagoland. So when that rumor came up, which I only heard recently, uh, it disappointed me because I hope it's not true. So I, I hope that if it if it does in fact turn out to be true, I hope that there is an alternative for that region of the country um, so that uh, you get to go to a cup race share. And I know you'd hate to see that go away at Chicago. And kind of actually curious to know what your thoughts are on that, since it is your home track, Sharon. Yeah, that is disappointing news, Andy. I had not heard that news. So uh, I did at the beginning when they talked about the potential sale, and then we got some kind of encouraging news uh, midsummer, and I thought, well, maybe that's not necessarily going to happen. But then if this comes to be passed, uh, then, yeah, I'd be really disappointed to lose Chicagoland Speedway uh, on the schedule because uh, Jay and I have been there the last several years, and we've seen some of the best racing all year long, uh, I think, at, at Chicagoland Speedway. And with all four of the series there, with the Arkham Menard series and then the trucks, Xfinity and Cups, uh, all racing there, it, it really has been just phenomenal to see all four of those races run as well as they do and and be as exciting as they've been. And to not be able to have that on the schedule, whether I'm at the track or watching from home, I think it's a loss uh, in the long run. I'd I'd sure like to know what's going on behind the scenes uh, that uh, Chicagoland's going to miss out on the date again next year. Uh, I, I hope and pray uh, that uh, they're not developing that land around there to the point that we can't utilize that track uh, because I think it's a great facility and 
And, uh, yeah, I'd just be highly disappointed. That's all I can say about that. Uh, is it would be a huge disappointment for the area. I know. I, I I don't know what the percentage of NASCAR fans are in the Chicagoland area, but I knew a lot of NASCAR fans in that area, and I know they'd all be highly disappointed as well if, if uh, there's not going to be racing at that facility. So um, we'll let that be a wrap on that subject. Uh, Jay, you're up next to kick us off with the next subject. All right. Down here and pick one of them. I got several still listed. Uh, okay. We'll go with Kyle Busch. I know we kind of mentioned him. He's now under the cut line. Obviously, that was affected by brother Kurt Busch winning from below the cut line. But his statement of we're not going to make it through the next round, crew chief Adam Stevens said he didn't have a problem with it. But apparently, Coach Gibbs did as well as the impact it might not only have on his team, but the organization as a whole. Um, and again, whether or not you feel that played out to uh, some degree uh, this past Sunday. Okay. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, we talked about this last week where Kyle Bush can talk to Kyle Bush all he wants, and that's fine. But when Kyle Busch is speaking as the face of the team, he's got to remember that there are dozens, if not hundreds of people who are at the racetrack and at the shop who are responsible for getting that 18 car ready and putting it on the racetrack every single weekend. And when he says something like, we're going to be eliminated, that tells those people back at the shop that they're not, you know, I think Kyle thought it was motivating, but at a lot of times you're saying, you're telling them, those people at the shop that they're wasting their time and I think that was the uh, the problem that coach Gibbs had with and I, I, I tend to agree with the coach in this instance I think Kyle maybe went a little bit over the line in terms of his statements after Bristol regarding the future of the team's playoff chances okay Andy your thoughts yeah I would have to agree with Mike on that for sure um you know it's one thing for a driver to make those kinds of comments but you you know you, they have to realize that there's a lot of men and women that work on those race cars that put a lot of money into it. And when the driver comes out and says they don't really care, I'm sure that doesn't sit too kindly with those folks, you know, that are working hard. That being said, despite being below the cut line, I'm not that worried about Kyle Busch yet. I I still think that he's a a strong candidate to make that next round, but um, certainly in a, in a precarious position more than we're used to seeing from him, just in the sense that, He's usually got a bunch of playoff points and solidly um, in a comfort zone, if you will, uh, for that next round. But um, he doesn't have those playoff points because he hasn't won a race yet this year. So uh, in an interesting position, uh, certainly. But hopefully, you know, they can he can find some motivation and, and, you know, talk to his team. I don't know. Maybe they're used to that. I'm not sure. But I just think that, you know, there's so many people that work on those race cars to have – to have your driver say he doesn't care is um, a bit of an eye-opener for me. But as he would say, it's still 2020. (laughs) Okay. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, and we've seen this in the past with uh, Kevin Harvick, and that was more directed directly at his pit crew. Um, So, yeah, it it can be motivating, but it also can be detrimental uh, depending on the crew you're working around. And somebody in the case of Harvick, I think it's a little bit different in how he carries himself overall and generally is with his team. 
Um, so I think that makes a huge difference. Uh, in the case of Kyle Bush, that's one of those where, and I have listened to different positivity speakers as of late, you're almost really digging the hole yourself. And like I said, I felt like it kind of maybe played out that way on Sunday of, you know, you go in there knowing it's your home track, but you don't run real well there. And when you look at it, Talladega being a wild card, not that he doesn't run there, but again, statistically doesn't show up as one of his better tracks as well as the Roval. uh, I think you'd want to be on the better positive side of it. You know, we've heard several drivers talk about whether it be Bristol or whatever, that they decide to go in with a positive attitude because if you go in negative, you're already kind of behind the eight ball on it. Yeah, I, I think I'm just a little surprised that uh, Kirk or Kyle Busch would do that. He's a he's a team owner. I think if one of his uh, uh, drivers were to say that with regard to his team. Uh, I think he'd be just as upset as uh, Coach Gibbs is about uh, Kyle Busch saying those comments. Um, You know, I've seen it work both ways. In this particular case, uh, it doesn't seem like it's working out the way Kyle Busch may have hoped that it would work out. It's turning out to be uh, uh, on the downside versus the upside so we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens at the next two races. But uh, when you're in the playoffs, like I, the the whole idea of shooting yourself in the foot just doesn't make sense to me. So, Mike, what are your thoughts, your follow-up? Yeah, like you said, Kyle Busch is a team owner, and I don't know if he, he's gone so far as to think about it, or maybe that's what Coach Gibbs talked to him about of, how would he feel if you know, one of his drivers said the same thing about I, – I think Christian Eckes is one of his drivers in the truck series right now. Christian Eckes is in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. How would Kyle, Kyle Busch, the truck team owner, not Kyle Busch, the driver, but how would Kyle Busch, the truck team owner, feel if Christian Eckes, during one of his media availabilities, said – this team will be eliminated in the upcoming round of the playoffs. I've got this funny feeling that Kyle Busch, the truck owner, would not have the same feeling about a statement like that as Kyle Busch, the race car driver, did. Okay. Um, Andy, your follow-up? Nope, I'm good to go on this one. Okay, Jay, your final thoughts on this. Come on, really, Andy? There's always more to say. Uh, I think you guys are. I think you guys uh, are making a point, but you're making it on the wrong side. If we think back to Kyle Busch as a truck owner, he said, "Hey, my drivers can't get the job done because I'm giving them good equipment and they're not getting it done." So when it comes to that, as far as his motivational style, I, I don't think that 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 would take offense to him because that's how he is as the truck owner as well. So I don't see that. I think it is a case of that is just how Kyle Busch is. But what he's got to realize, as with some of the drivers he talked to like that, not everybody is going to respond to it that way. You know, whether he thinks, and just like a crew chief or a car owner that were to talk to him that way, and he would take it as motivation to prove him wrong, not everybody is that way. So whether it be his truck team or not, again, he felt that was the way to go was publicly say it's on his drivers because the equipment is good and, and they're not that didn't work out so well because one of them is not there anymore, you know, and we've seen several that have come through there and not had the success that others have. I think he needs to look at that as far as 
and if you get into any kind of leadership role of know your people and how to handle them. Some you do need to be harsh on like that. Some you need to be a little more, a little bit more, uh, I want to say coddling, but comforting too, if you will. Same as a, as a parent with a child. Well, I, I think it's one of those situations, if I say it, but don't you dare say it, uh, kind of thing with Kyle Bush. Uh, I think he's okay as long as he's the one saying it. But if somebody else says it, I think he will take offense to it. But who knows? We'll have to kind of wait and see if anybody does say something like that. Um, but uh, let's see. Mike, I think you're up for the next top topic. Yeah, I'm going to bring up Jay's favorite driver here for a minute. Um, during the Xfinity race, they played a brief little snippet of an interview with Noah Gregson where he's kind of – he pulled the curtain back a little bit on his own personal feelings about the team's performance over the past about two months or so. And he's, he said he's been disappointed in how they've set, uh, how they've been performing. And more surprisingly, he said, bottom line, he's not having as much fun at this point in the season as he did earlier. Uh, we speculated that maybe he got a sit down with Dale Earnhardt Jr. At some point uh, about two months ago, right after the, I think it was the Indianapolis race. Um, where he was, it was kind of highlighted the number of on-track incidents that he's had. And we've seen a tamer Noah Gregson since then. So maybe they took the fun out of racing for Noah, but I'm interested to see what everyone else's take if they had seen that. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, there have been some incidents, as we've all talked about, with, with Noah this year. And I believe it was, um, I think, maybe that Texas race this summer, um, you know, he had an incident, a couple incidents with some drivers, and and Noah hasn't been bad by any means, but he's kind of you know slinked back into um, semi oblivion in terms of the spotlight, which for you know maybe a young driver like that who's been in the spotlight for the wrong reasons isn't a bad thing to just kind of be quiet for a few weeks. Um, but he said that um, he looked as the, at the playoffs as an opportunity. To, to get back to, to where they were and, and try to be up front and try to go win some races because this is the time of the year to do just that. And um, I thought they were pretty good this weekend. Obviously they didn't win, but they did finish second and they put together a clean race. I mean, we didn't hear of any uh, incidents or anything bad happening. And, you know, I think maybe good clean races like that um, are a step in the right direction to, for him to maybe go out there and, and win races without, uh, without any controversy. So, um, you know, I, I would look at this race is in the right direction for that team and, you know, curious to see how they can take that and, and close out the season. But, you know, even Noah said it wasn't, I think just strictly related to on-track performance. I think that, you know, he, he said that he just wasn't himself really and has been going through some personal stuff and, you know, we don't need to delve into those details by any means, but nonetheless, I think he's trying to get back to, um, you know, the old way, maybe a reinvented way, if you will, of, of you know, the strong parts of earlier this season. And, um, you know, like I said, a good clean race with no issues and they ran second. I think that's a step in the right direction for that team. Okay. Mike, I want to know your thoughts. Yeah, I'm I sorry, think this Jay, is kind of a... Skipped you. Mike, I apologize. I skipped Jay. No worries. Jay, we we need to hear from you first. Well, more specific there just by saying my favorite driver, because I was all prepared to talk about the Rage and Rebel, David Brazil, or possibly Augustine (laughs) coming up, uh, you know. So got to be a little more specific (laughs) there. But 
I, I, w- I have always been on the side of Noah Gregson, yes. And, and I do think he is a great talent. That This is one, I think it kind of relates back to the Kyle Busch situation. Obviously, if you've got to have a talk with the driver, it is dependent on how you approach it. Um, and we've seen this with a couple other drivers, and sometimes they got to realize it themselves. They talk about Tyler Reddick, Kyle Larson, uh, ones that want to hang it out, run it up against the wall and hang it out at all times. Obviously, if you're tearing up cars or tearing up other, other people's cars, yes, that's something that needs to be addressed, but you don't want to tell them they have to change their driving style because that is what got them to that level. So you got to be careful about curbing that, just like with anything else, curbing that enthusiasm or uh, level that they drive at. We have kind of seen a, a little bit of a, a downslide, little, a little bit anyway, from him in the past couple of weeks, and that may be due to several outside situations as well. Um, but hopefully he does realize that and pick it back up and find that happy medium. You know, whether it's with its own his own equipment, or like I said, a couple drivers we know running it up against the wall on that edge. But also, if that's where they're good, you know, it's tough to tell them to not not run up there, um, but find that happy medium. Uh, so more often than not, you're not in the wall or in the fence and on the hook or running into other other cars, but also still up there battling for the win and contending. So. It's a fine line. I think that is one, though, that goes back to of how you deal with the person as a whole. And, and again, Sharon and I have talked to him uh, personally and interviewed him. I think he is one that you would have to know how to handle him as an individual uh, when you address that, anything like that. <laughs> that was an interesting way of putting that. Okay, Mike. Yeah, kind of like what I was getting into saying a minute ago, I think this was just kind of a step in the natural direction of maturity that Noah Gregson, we all said Noah Gregson needs to uh, to mature a little bit as a race car driver, and I think this is one of those steps in that road to maturity. Um, I think maybe he is realizing either through his own, you know, whatever has been revealed to him through his own uh, methods or if somebody has just flat out sat him down and told him that, going out there and running as hard as you possibly can, 100% over the edge, every single lap of every single race is not the uh, the way to be successful in the top levels of stock car racing. And that may be what's taken some of the fun out of it for Noah. I don't know. Um, but I'm, I think he has had to re- at least somewhat reevaluate his driving style, and it's taken a little bit of time. Um, we've seen other drivers have to do a similar thing. Uh, Tyler Reddick and Kyle Larson already got mentioned as two drivers who, especially early on, were known for their overly aggressive driving. Um, and they had to kind of take that step back as, uh, as well and approach it from a little bit more of a disciplined standpoint. So I think Noah Gregson might be on that same road where he's going to come out the other side of this as a more disciplined, mature, and, all, and ultimately more successful race car driver. Okay. Uh, Andy, I guess that's uh, you now for the follow-up. Yeah, you know, and like I said, I think this past weekend was a step in the right direction for him. And I think also just just knowing what he's going to do next year, we know he's going to return to that car and that team. um, That certainly has to give him confidence that, um, you know, the team wanted him back. And, I, you know, I think certainly – you know, it, it allows him to focus on these playoffs and try to go win the championship and try to go win some more races. You know, certainly it's been an, an okay year for that team, but, you know, they want to try to improve and, and try to win some races and close out the year strong. So, um, 
you know, the good thing for them is they can focus on the things that they need to and not have to worry about contracts and and silly season and all that stuff. And, you know, maybe that's exactly what Noah needs to do is, you know, now he can just focus on himself and, and focus on the racing at hand and, you know, maybe they'll be able to finish things out on a strong note. Okay, Jay, your comments? Well, I don't, I don't know if anybody sat down with him to have the talk, but I know Harrison Burton had a talk with him. Uh, there was definitely some words involved there. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, they mentioned several of them, that, especially when they get to the cup level. And, you know, I'll throw the names out there, starting with Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, that have had to have that, even if it comes from an elder state, statesman within the series. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, with Harrison Burton, it was another rookie just because it happened to be a couple of situations. But I'm sure that Justin Algar within the team, being that he was involved with one or two with him, uh, most certainly did have that conversation with him, uh, not just what we see on TV, but outside of it at the shop or otherwise. And, and I think coming from somebody like that, uh, probably more impactful than another rookie, especially, like I said, the way, the way it came about there. And, yeah, we have seen other drivers that have gone through that. Mike, Mike said it exactly right. It's a, it's a maturity thing. You still want to run run hard and be aggressive, but find that line of what where where it is of too much and what's costing not only your team but other teams, and you're no longer making friends, you're making enemies. Okay, Mike, your final thoughts on it. Yeah, there's nothing quite like having a guy like uh, Matt Kenseth punch your face one weekend and then Jeff Gordon come punch your face the next weekend like uh, Brad Keselowski <laughs> did. Um, I think that the end of that 2014 season was a turning point in the maturity of Brad Keselowski. Uh, so maybe having that, uh, that face-to-face discussion with Harrison Burton might help uh, Noah Gregson as well. Okay, time will tell. Okay, Andy, we're back to you for the next topic. I don't think I got anything. I think I'm pretty cleaned up here. It uh, wasn't a huge weekend for the latest and greatest news, so I'll defer to Jay, I guess, for the next one. Okay, Jay, do you have a topic for us? I most certainly do, and I can go ahead and throw it out there. Sharon, pick what time you want to put a pause in it as far yeah, as uh, you the time the as well. Subject and then, okay. Yeah, go ahead and give us the topic, um, and then I'll give my spiel. Nice Motorsports, we talked about a couple of weeks ago letting Ty Majeski go. We thought maybe they were reevaluating their program, bringing in a couple of different drivers, Trevor Bain, Travis Pastrana, and Connor O'Daly. But now they have announced that they're going to go with another young driver in Carson Hoselar, uh as far as next year. So I find that kind of interesting. Okay. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, oh, I haven't heard this at all. Okay. Yeah, let me go ahead and do this, Bill. That way I, I don't have to interrupt you. Um, we're going to go off the air right at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time here. Uh, and in case you're listening for the first time, we'd like to kind of alert you that that's going to happen because we may go off the air as we're talking uh, mid-sentence. Uh, just know that we will continue to record the rest of that conversation as part of our bonus overtime material on the podcast. I will go out on Twitter 
as soon as we get finished here tonight and let folks know that the podcast is now available. If you've listened up to this point, all you have to do is fast forward to the two-hour mark and on the podcast player, and then you'll be able to hear the rest of the conversation. So uh, we do have a way for you to hear that conversation. Uh, podcast listeners will be able to listen straight through. Uh, but, again, we like to just let first-time listeners, in case there's any out there, know that that's going to happen so that you're not wondering what the heck happens with this one up the air uh, mid-sentence. Okay, with that, uh, Mike, we're ready to hear your thoughts. Sure. Like I was saying, this is the first I've heard this one, so I'm not familiar with what's going on at Nice. Um, I have known they, they, they've had some serious issues over the past about two months or so in terms of drivers, some of them self-induced. I think I still think letting time at Jeske go was a mistake. Um, and then this past weekend, unfortunately, Natalie Decker had another health issue. Uh, it's been kind of hush-hush uh, about exactly what's been going on. And to be honest, if they're not volunteering the information, it's not our business to ask. However, Natalie Decker did go to the infield care center just prior to the race at Las Vegas. She was not medically cleared to race. The truck was retired from the race for the listed reason being driver fatigue. She's since posted on Twitter that she's out of the hospital and doing better, but that's about the last we've heard from Natalie Decker. Um, hopefully she's able to get the health issues under control, whatever they may be, but that's just another issue that Nice Motorsports has to deal with the, with the uncertainty of the future of another one of their drivers. As far as some of the new names that they've plugged in there, I don't know that they found a long-term solution. Maybe Trevor Bain could be a long-term solution for Nice Motorsports, but based on the performance he's put in so far, I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in it. He hasn't done a whole lot better in that truck than Chad Majeski did. Um, Travis Pastrana, same way. He's a little bit newer to the truck, so it's a little bit more of a wait and see with him. But by and large, I think Nice Motorsports has kind of given up on this season. They're in full-on experimental mode right now to see if they can throw enough stuff at a wall to get something to stick that they want to bring it back for the 2021 season. Okay. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, interesting move, certainly. You know, I I think that um, Ty Majeski – had a lot of promise, you know, given the amount of short track success and, and, you know, we all know how, how great he is at I racing. Um, I would consider that, you know, his season to be a disappointment. And I, I think a lot of us expected him to be uh, a lot better than he was. And I think he still has the potential to be really good in NASCAR. It just wasn't evidently the right situation for him. Um, but an interesting move. I don't really know anything about Carson Hosevar. I know he's, I think, a short tracker, and uh, he's working his way up, and, and that's the direction the team's going to go in for next year, and, and maybe uh, the team and the driver mesh better, and maybe it's a, it's a successful situation for them. Um, but, yeah, a bit, of a, bit of an, a bit of an interesting year for the team in the sense that um, – they became independent from GMS support, which I think hurt the team to a degree. And, you know, Ross Chastain, we know how good he is. And I think he certainly played a huge role in their success last season. And he has run some races for the team this year. And they've been fast in the races that he's run. But uh, overall, he's only run a handful of races by comparison to a full season. So um, those would be, I think, the two big variables as to why the team maybe didn't run quite as well as they did last year. But nonetheless, um, like Mike said, I think they're rebuilding and trying some stuff out and, you know, bringing 
Pastrana and, and Connor Daly in was was kind of fun. I know those. I I don't think anyone expected those guys to be up front, which they weren't. But you know, kind of fun to see them in the race nonetheless. And it was um, kind of cool to uh, you know to to see them in the Nice trucks for sure. So um, interesting to see how they finish out their season. Obviously, not running for a championship at this point. Um, you know, but certainly I think their eyes on, on 21 and, and hopefully getting back to, you know, where they were with Ross just one year ago. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, as far as experimental, uh, they know that, that they have the capability, and I know even Ross Chastain hasn't done as well in the trucks this year in the races he's been in, so the uh, manufacturer or the alliance split there may have some to do with that. But they obviously do better with certain drivers. So that kind of goes back to, to Kyle Busch saying, hey, I can win in the truck. Other drivers can win in the truck. Why can't you? Kind of in that stage. But I'm with you guys that Ty Majeski, I just don't feel, was given the, the full opportunity to develop and show what he was capable of. You know, again, one year is a tough thing to do uh, in one shot. So. And he didn't even get the full year. We had that with Daniel Hamrick as well. So I, I'm not sure, but yeah. I, I'm sure they're looking at it. And I think some of it, some of it, I think might have to do with, you know, we've talked about Travis Pastrana, the connections and sponsorship, I think, come into play a little bit there as well. Okay. Uh, Mike, your thoughts? I couldn't, couldn't reach the mute button fast enough. Anyway, um, yeah, the future of Nice Motorsports, I think they're, they, they have a future in terms of being a team in the NASCAR uh, truck series. Uh, but as far as them being a future championship contender, what I'm seeing right now at the close of the 2020 season doesn't give me a whole lot of faith for them having a really strong foundation to build on uh, going into 2021. Um, they really – they don't. They don't have a single driver right now that I would point at and say that that driver is the future of Nice Motorsports, and that's what concerns me the most. That team was able to coalesce around Ross Chastain and produce a lot of really good results, probably beyond what should be expected of a team of the, with those resources. But it doesn't look like they have even something to to try and focus behind to push right now, and that has me really concerned for them. Okay, Andy, your thoughts. Yeah, like you said, you know, they, they certainly have been a tick off this year than where they were last year, and I think it's for a couple different reasons, like I've um, already mentioned. But um, I'm curious what they do next year. You know, like I said, I don't know a lot about Carson Hostover. I know he's an, he's a short track guy that's kind of had to cut his teeth the old school way, which I certainly appreciate. So maybe maybe this opportunity with Nice is a, a better match, like I said, for the driver and the team. and and maybe they have a better year, but um, yeah, it's been an interesting season for them, for sure. I mean, and they've had some good drivers in their equipment too. When you consider Jeb Burton and Ryan Truex, those guys have been successful with other teams in the top three series. So, um, if, you know, it's a cool team. You know, I, I've certainly enjoyed watching that team since they come into the sport, and really enjoyed what they did with Ross last year. So it has been disappointing to see them be not quite where they were um, for last year. But, um, you know, you, you may see Ross jump in the truck on occasion, and I certainly think his his input and his value goes a long way with making sure the equipment's where it needs to be. And, uh, you know, it's a team that you want to see stick around. 
you uh, you hope they can find their way again and be competitive because uh, certainly, um, you know, you don't want to see owners leave the sport and you want to see them stick around. So hopefully they can get back to the success they had last year that allows them to uh, continue and, and be a part of the truck series for years to come. Okay. Jay, your final thoughts on this subject? Yeah, you certainly do want to see it. We know that they have the capability as they went on after the Truck Series Championship last year with Ross Chastain in an unusual move, and we saw it actually come real close to paying off for them. So I think that's maybe why they're kind of doing, doing the shuffling they're doing is they know they have the capability. And I'm with Andy. You want to see that. We've seen several others, uh, whether it be GMS in their building, Colleague Racing, of what they can build to. So hopefully they do find that right match. I, I, I feel really bad for Ty Majeski again, if it just wasn't the right fit or the right timing or whatever. Um, but unfortunately, we've seen that in other cases. So hopefully, again, he pops back up somewhere else. And we see Nice Motorsports get something together where they get all the right key players and elements to get back to that level and continue to build. Uh, Mike, I think that leads us to you for the next talk topic. Well, I don't really have a great hot topic, anything really to hang my hat on. So instead, I'm going to go into wild speculation mode. I'm going to take just a little snippet of something <laughs> that really happened, and I'm going to spin it to as wild a speculation as I possibly can. So here we go. Confirmed. Jeff Gordon did do a test session at Carolina Motorsports Park with a Hendrick Motorsports track attack car. And if you're unfamiliar with what car that is, it's basically a Hendrick Motorsports stock car that is built and sold on the consumer market for um, non-competitive track days, uh, amateur racing, stuff like that. So if you got deep pockets and you're a big NASCAR road course fan, you can go buy a Hendrick Motorsports car to take to your favorite racetrack and go tool around. Well, Jeff Gordon was out there driving one of those uh, this past few days, and here comes the wild speculation. He was driving it because he's getting ready to be announced for SRX. <laughs> okay. Andy, your thoughts about that? Uh, I don't think that's a wild thing to say. I, I think that it's, uh, I think it'd be cool to see Gordon do it. And I think it's highly possible. I think that when you look at the other drivers who have been announced for SRX, uh, Gordon certainly fits the bill of someone who'd do it. So, um, you know, maybe he was out there having fun. Maybe he's out there getting ready to and knocking some rust off to go racing next year. But um, it would not surprise me in the least if they said Jeff Gordon would race SRX in 2021. Okay. Jay, your thoughts about that? Yeah, I'm a little disappointed, Mike. I thought you really were going with something wild and crazy. I'm with Andy. I don't think it's all that far <laughs> out of a realm of possibility. Uh, we, we know he's still involved in a lot of different things when it comes to the motorsports. Uh, and that, like Andy said, it certainly fits the bill with what we've seen so far as some of the drivers that have been announced. And I do think that is something Gordon would do. Um, again, especially on a six race deal, like the, like they're starting out with this year. So uh, I think that's a very likely possibility. I know we hadn't heard any specific rumors to it, but it wouldn't shock me at all. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? 
Yeah, SRX, or as it's being come to known as the Senior Citizen Racing Experience, I think would be uh, an interesting (laughs) place for Jeff Gordon to land. Um, Obviously, the two big names behind the whole formation of the series are Tony Stewart and Ray Everham. And we know know, Jeff and Tony have had some ups and downs in terms of a professional relationship, but I think they've got a lot of mutual respect for each other, and I think they've come to be pretty good friends since uh, since they've both retired from NASCAR Cup Series racing. And obviously, Gordon's past with Ray Everham is no secret as well. Um, so, yeah, it is a natural tie into SRX. Um, it's pure speculation. I grew up as a Jeff Gordon fan, so, so you know, very selfishly, I would love to see Jeff Gordon back out racing in some sort of capacity or another. Um, so, yeah, maybe we will see. It's been pretty quiet from SRX over about the past month or so. So uh, we'll see if they come up with a, a new driver announcement here in the next couple of weeks, and if it is indeed Jeff Gordon. Andy, any follow-up there? Uh, nope, I'm good. Okay, what about you, Jay? Just just to give Mike an idea of what a wild uh, wild speculation idea is, that's having the uh, Xfinity trucks and Cup all run at the same track at the same time. That's a wild a wild idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, Mike, that how about you? Any... We've talked about that. <laughs> Any follow up from you, uh, Mike? No, that's about it. I was pretty much tapped out for hot topics, so I had to come up with something here to fill the gap. So I'm I'm spent. I'm out. I yield the rest of my time to Jay on this one. Okay, Jay. Well, I do have one more, and it, and it, it's kind of a little surprising of what we kind of expected, though. Of we should be real quiet for a minute and listen. And you heard nothing. We thought once the dominoes started to fall, more would follow. We haven't heard anything about Eric Jones. We haven't heard anything more about the 48, which they did kind of say they got drivers in the playoffs. They don't want to disrupt that. But we still got a couple of players out there. Uh, Daniel Suarez, RPM, uh, Go Fast Racing, that we haven't heard a whole lot more as far as silly season. Yeah, and it's getting uh, almost too late because when you think about the marketing part of this and some of the logistics, uh, these decisions need to be made fairly quickly, although we have seen them come pretty late. So, uh, Mike, what are your thoughts about uh, what's happening with silly seasons? Yeah, one more big name that Jay didn't throw out there, and this is probably the number two best available ride, or at least best ride that's not been spoken for yet, is the 21 car. Uh, Matt Benedetto uh, apparently has until September 30th for the Wood Brothers to execute their option to bring him back for that next year. Um, After the race in Las Vegas, where he ran a tying his career best second place finish, uh, Matt was specifically asked about that. He said he hasn't really pestered them. He's expecting word this week one way or the other. Um, And it sounds like there's a lot of energy in the team. They want him back there, but it's a matter of the logistics. And I'm sure by logistics, he means sponsorship in order to ensure that bringing Matt Benedetto back to the 21 car to race for the Wood Brothers next year is the sound financial move. No secret, I'm a huge Matt Benedetto fan. I would love to see him back in that 21 car. I think it's a phenomenal fit, and I think there's a lot of room for that team to grow. We saw how well they did at Las Vegas this past weekend. Yeah, he got up there by virtue of some, uh, some lucky timing on a caution, but he held his own. I think if that last run had gone green instead of going to overtime, he was gaining on Kurt Busch, and there's a very real chance that Matt Benedetto could have passed Kurt Busch and won his first NASCAR Cup Series race. So, 
as selfish as I am as a Matt Benedetto fan, as, even as a broader race fan, I would love to see a great driver who has a lot of potential to grow, i.e. Matt Benedetto, get that opportunity to come back. And I think aside from the 48 car, that is the next big question mark going into the silly season is what happens with the 21. Okay. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, we haven't heard a lot about silly season in recent times, but, you know, this is actually something, um, you know, I guess the question for all of you is, you know, some of the prospects coming up. Chase Briscoe just won his eighth race of the year. Has he done enough to earn a cup ride? Because he said at the beginning of the year he thought he needed to win eight to ten. Guess what? He's won eight races, probably can win ten before it's all said and done this year. Okay. Uh, Jay, any comments on that? I I think it's kind of been settled that maybe, and again, unfortunately, we may not even have a rookie class or it's going to be one or two. The big name ones that we might expect, I think, are just going to stay in the Xfinity series for another year. Wait until the next gen car comes out in 2022. And I think we're going to see another big class move up like we did this year. The issue there is the amount of available rides. So, the reason I didn't mention the 21, I know that the end of September here is the date for uh, Matt Benedetto and the Wood Brothers. I think that's a matter of they are just finalizing everything, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, and the sponsorship I know is an issue because I believe Mards, Menards is maybe backing out um, or cutting back anyway at the, at, at the very least of their sponsorship. So that may have be what's kind of is the holdup, but – I see him back in that car. Unfortunately, it might be for another one-year deal, as then they would look to bring up Cindric. Same with Clint Boyer. I know we haven't heard that officially, but I think if they were going to be moving Chase Briscoe in that case up, that would have already been announced, and Clint Boyer would have his hat out in all these other discussions. Uh, that's just my belief. Again, we've heard from the team SHR saying they wanted the same four-driver lineup back for next year, as it's been many years since they've had the same four-driver lineup in in years. So I think all of that is just a matter of waiting on the contracts to be signed. Uh, there's ones, though, that we know are out of a ride and some teams open that we haven't announced. That's kind of what I was getting at, and it's just been really quiet. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Yeah, I think it's uh, with regard to uh, bringing up talent from the Xfinity Series, Chase Briscoe and uh, Austin Sindrick are probably the two biggest names who are unspoken for next year. And it really has to do with that rumored Ford development within the Xfinity Series. Uh, It's been no secret that Ford has considered themselves to be lacking in representation in that Xfinity Series. Um, So I think that's another bigger moving piece is what is Ford Motor Company trying to do in the Xfinity series? And if they are trying to build something, losing one or both of their premier drivers in that series, maybe something that Ford Motor Company pressures the respective team owners to maybe wait another year on before pulling that trigger. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Well, it's kind of an interesting scenario here. Um, You know, I, I think that, um, of course, earlier in the year, I think we all thought Larson was a shoe-in for the 14, and now he's not even rumored to be going there. There's other other places he's his name's come up, you know. And then you think, well, maybe Clint's going to come back, you know. And then and then I, I do think that I think 
whether Briscoe moves up or not, I do think he's putting a lot of pressure on, on the 14 car and putting a lot of pressure on Clint to perform. That's the only team they haven't figured out yet for next year. And, and it, it seems to me that it's been kind of eerily quiet in terms of, you know, I know they've said that they want those four teams to be intact for next year, but it, it seems to be just a little bit on the quiet side in terms of, you know, where each driver is going to be next year. It's been, you know, very quiet for the 14 car. It's been quiet as far as Briscoe for next year. The only thing we know for sure is he has a contract to drive a Ford a Ford NASCAR machine next year, but even he said he doesn't know which series it's going to be in. He does. It could be truck Xfinity or Cup. He just doesn't know. Um, has he done enough to get to the Cup Series? I think he probably has, but even he has said that he'd rather stay in Xfinity an extra year and win races versus running 25th in the cup series every week. And I think it's extremely smart to have that mindset because time and time again, we've seen drivers rush up into a car that, that maybe isn't capable of running up front and they hose their careers long-term because of it. So um, I think that if it's a difference in staying in that 98 car next year versus you know, driving something that can't compete up front or can, you know, be remotely competitive next year. I, I think he'd be smart to just run another year and then come up with a new car. And I think to Jay's point, we may not see a rookie class, or if we do see a rookie class next year, it's it's going to be not even remotely close to the three names that we've seen in it this year, or the four names rather that we've seen in it this year. So, um, yeah, it's hard to say what's going to happen. I, I do think that, when you have guys like Cindric and Briscoe, it does put a lot of pressure on, on these team owners as well as Ford to try to get them into the cup series. But you, you have to think that um, with only there being one more year on the current car and, and, you know, I think a lot of changes on the horizon uh, for NASCAR in the coming years that there's a place for them. It's just a matter of timing and um, it might be better for them to just go out there and uh, destroy the Xfinity series yet again in 2021. So, We'll see what happens. Okay, Jay, your final comment. It would be interesting to know, again, if Ford is the one pressuring that. I know they have talked about that, of not having the same developmental program and DGR Crosley joining them uh, this past year and developing a couple that, yeah, maybe then they want another year to kind of let that expand Um before starting to move some of them into the Xfinity series. So they may play a big factor in that. We, we don't know. But like I said, it's also a matter at the cup level, not only sponsorship, but again, the next-gen car of having a rookie go through that basically two years in a row. Uh, there's a lot of different factors to that. Uh, I know part of it, some of it, um, and I think this had to pertain to uh, Matt Benedetto with the uh, possibility on his uh, – contract and sponsorships too the fact that the schedule is coming out this late you know kind of comes into play as well so it'll be interesting again i just i'm a little surprised with rpm go fast racing uh and the gaunt brothers ones that had announced their drivers are not coming back we haven't heard any of them of where they're going and i would think that eric jones can't say it's the, the the best available talent out of the group, but he is a winner at the cup level. Daniel Suarez is an Xfinity Series champion. We've seen drivers like Daniel Hemrick make a resurgence in the Xfinity Series, possibly. So, like I said, the fact that a couple of these bigger dominoes have fallen 
and some of the bigger teams have have buttoned up that we haven't seen more shuffling or announcements now of these other ones of uh, I hate to say it that way of but what's left <laughs> who gets from what's left okay well, I think that's uh, probably going to be it for our NASCAR Hot Topic segment tonight, so let's go ahead and start our roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you. Yeah, it's going to be Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter, and you know where I'm going with this plug here. Voting is still open for the NASCAR Most Popular Driver. One vote per driver per series every single day. Your, dri- your vote for each driver counts twice if you share it on Twitter or Facebook. Don't forget to vote for your favorite driver, especially if it's Matt DiBenedetto in the NASCAR Cup Series. Matty D. <laughs> okay, Jay. Uh, you follow me on Michael Hoosman. And, Mike, you can now follow on Facebook as well if the uh, friend request I got was correct there. I hope it was. I accepted it. So um, Now they banned that account, too, so I'm going to have to deal with that. Well, <laughs> two hours, three hours, surprise, a surprise. Yeah, um, yeah it, was, uh, it was short-lived. We'll, we'll see if I end up making my triumphant return to the Book of Faces or not. And you can follow me as well on Instagram and Twitter at MoparMJ8. And we'll look at forming the group there of the Fan for Racing construction crew with uh, Andy behind the bulldozer and Mike with the wrecking ball. That's right. <laughs> okay, Andy. Well, I made a rather non-triumphant exit from the Book of Faces last year, certainly. But uh, I am on Twitter, of course, at uh, SHR1498 fan. So um, hoping for a, a big news week. And uh, looking forward to hopefully that schedule coming out so we can talk about it Thursday night. And uh, enjoy the show tonight, Sharon. Had fun uh, doing uh, the whole deal. It's always cool to come on and do that on occasion. And uh, looking forward to being back Thursday. Okay. Well, thank you, Andy, for doing that. I appreciate you stepping up. And uh, we'll hopefully have uh, Sal back next week. But with his schedule, it's just so hard to say. Um, We're kind of on a week-to-week basis here. Uh, but uh, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including fanforacing.com. Uh, thank you for hanging in there with us. We've had a few issues on the website. I think I got quite a few of them cleared up today. Uh, but uh, the, the race day chat is now in the menu bar uh, if you're looking for that. Uh, I was also able to uh, put the... Uh, Uh, Talk Radio um, uh, player back up on the uh, promotion piece there so fans can listen to the uh, radio show via our player on fanfaracing.com again and uh, right now I can't think of what the other one was it seems like there were three of them I was trying to get uh, resolved today I know I was having a problem uploading photos as well but uh, we're able to get that taken care of. So uh, slowly but surely, we're kind of uh, reshaping the uh, uh, Facebook or the um, website page there. But uh, just kind of hang in there with us. We'll get it all resolved. Um, and a big shout out to our listeners. We appreciate everybody for tuning in to hear what it is that we have to say. And uh, uh, definitely looking forward to the show on Thursday night starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time uh, with the Hot Topics at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday. 
And then, uh, of course, our Monday night show starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, right now we do have Joe Graff Jr. penciled in. So uh, we'll look forward to chatting with him on Monday night's show as well. So with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, guys, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again on Thursday night. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. All right. Talk to you Thursday. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.